Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and PK podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Ribs and PK. You can't just let four guys walk without getting much for them other than maybe a draft pick. So, yes, they have to disassemble a few things because timing is not on their side, but also production is not been on their side. So it's twofold. They need to do it to 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 sort of figure things out for the next half decade, but they also need to do it because the offense isn't very good right now. So it's a real mandate to change things up for a lot of reasons, including dropping their payroll. So that was Jesse Rogers earlier today on Carriker and Smallman. If you missed any of that, go to the podcast page, 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app to be able to listen to the full interview. Really good stuff from Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. This is supposed to be the offseason where the Cubs are able to rebuild. It's supposed to be the offseason where they decide, you know what? We're going to go ahead and trade Anthony Rizzo for prospects. We're going to trade Kyle Schwarber for prospects. We're going to trade Javi Baez for prospects. We're going to do the same thing with Chris Bryant. Here's the problem with all of that, Jamie. You can't trade $20 million of salary for big-time prospect return in this offseason. Wait, why? Why? If we're talking about Francisco Lindor here... And we've had all of these guys come on and be like, yeah, you know, Tyler O'Neill may be a decent arm from the uh, from the pipeline. That'd probably be enough. If that's the price for Francisco Lindor, the hell are they going to be able to get for a guy like Chris Bryant, who wasn't good last year? What are they going to be able to get for Kyle Schwarber, who hit 185 last year? What are they going to be able to get for Javi Baez, who hit 200 last year? This is the problem that the Cubs are going to run into. They are trying to rebuild at the exact wrong time right now. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be difficult for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know what kind of return you're going to get no matter who you have. Even Francisco Lindor, to your point, BK, if people are predicting that it's going to be you know, a, a, a roster player and maybe a prospect, then you know why would you even do that? And if you're the Cubs who are trying to basically get rid of everything and start over you gotta you gotta hope you can get something in return otherwise you're just gonna be stuck in this awful rebuild for an extra two to three Mm -hmm. years maybe even longer uh so yeah i don't know what the heck they're gonna do but you know what it's the cubs i don't really care screw them the cubs dumbest mistake was the fact that they didn't do this two years ago like i know that they were still competing air quotes but how long did the Cubs know that Theo Epstein was on his way out? Like, you knew that this was a 10-year window. You knew. He literally said it. You had a three- to five-year window push for a championship. In 16, you win it. 
17, 18 year competitive. The end of the 2018 season was when they stood started shipping these guys out. But you couldn't have seen this coming. I think you they couldn't have seen thought they had another coming. championship. You couldn't have, him, right? But you knew Theo was on his way out. You knew that you were going to yeah, turn this over. They're going to suck because Theo's on his way out. Right. The last two years they've been pretty good, right? And they they, they struggled offensively in 2019. And they decided to fire the manager as a result. He was the guy that was, um, he was the odd man out, right? And now he's the fall guy for this. This year, they were actually pretty good again. Now they've been missing the pitching, but that's a different discussion for a different day. The position players have been okay for the most part outside of... You just said the three guys, though. I understand, but they couldn't have seen Javi Baez suddenly hitting 200. That that was unprojectable. There was nobody in baseball that was like, oh, there's going to be a pandemic. You're not going to have any video to watch, and your guys are going to suck as a result. But it's the same thing as Jack Flaherty right now, right? Like, we know you're not going to be able to afford or give this guy the money. With Javi Baez, when he's coming off of an MVP caliber season, and you know that this turnover is going to be coming after you won the championship... Why aren't you going for the rebuild sooner if you're the Cubs? Well, because I think you ultimately, internally, I think they thought, well, you know what? We might have another championship in us. Absolutely. With, especially to your point of him playing so well and the numbers are good. And you're like, hey, we know Theo said 10 years. We're getting close to the end of that. We still have a lot of the same players. Maybe we can get one more ring out of this group. I think they held on probably a little too long, hopeful that they could get that next championship. And normally you'd be able to get something for them this offseason. What threw everything into flux is what's thrown everything into flux for the Cardinals as well. You can't move any money. Carlos Martinez is completely untradeable right now because he has a $12.5 million salary. Well, and because he can't stay healthy and most offseasons you'd be able to trade that, though. This year you can't. Nobody's going to take that on for a question mark in their rotation. Nobody. Yeah. In a normal offseason, you could attach him maybe to a prospect and somebody would take it. Maybe you throw it over to the Royals, a rebuilding team, and you're like, hey, this guy has some upside for you potentially, right? And I'm just using them as kind of the fill-in there as a team. Same thing would be true for Schwarber or Rizzo or Baez. In a normal offseason, people would be throwing all kinds of assets at those players. We see it every year at the deadline. If you had a, a guy like a Rizzo available at the deadline, you could get a haul in return for that guy with three months left on his contract, much less with an entire season left. The pandemic threw everything into question. And now because of the salaries that they have, they want to get rid of these guys because of those salaries. And nobody else really wants to take them on because of the salaries that are there. You think that this thing can correct itself a little bit throughout the season? Like you talk about the trade deadline. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding next baseball season, but there is also a lot of positive news um, out there lately with possible vaccines, possible rapid testing. Maybe we get fans in the stands sooner than expected. Maybe there's more fans in the in the stands sooner than expected. If that's the case, maybe then somebody trading for a guy like Rizzo at the deadline, to your point, this year, maybe if the Cubs hang on, they can do this, this massive trade or this emptying of the cabinet at the deadline. I don't know if it's as popular in Major League Baseball as it is in the NHL, but I mean, is that a possibility? You could probably do it for one guy, maybe. It's probably a guy with a term on his contract. I don't know if you're doing it for a free agent, soon-to-be free agent, because then the uncertainty of keeping him and you don't have that full season to 
sell him on your and city. Wilson Contreras. He's got one more year after this upcoming mm-hmm. season. He also might be the guy that they want to sign long term. So it's kind of hard to know. Like, who are they going to build around? Right. Because mm-hmm. these guys aren't super old. Contreras is 29. Um, Kyle Schwarber's 28 right now. Javi Baez is 28. I don't think that they're going to build around Chris Bryant at this point, but he's 29. And then Rizzo seems like a guy that they would but he's 31. So it's kind of confusing as to who they're going to decide. This is going to be a part of our next core as well. Oh, it's obvious. It's Jason Hayward. It's the smartest decision to build around, right? Naturally. So now you kind of localize this here in St. Louis, right? Yesterday, we talked about how they are clearly the favorites in the NL Central. Guys, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. No. If you look at the futures awesome. in this division, None of these teams are ranked in the top half in baseball in terms of the pipeline right now. They're farm systems. I looked on MLB.com to find the rankings of each farm system in baseball right now. The Pirates are 16th. The Cardinals, and we know they don't have a fantastic farm system right now, but it's solid. They're 18th in baseball. The Reds are 22nd. The Cubs are 26th. And the Brewers are 29th. Oh, boy. This is a lot of teams with not very much hope who are also going into next year with a lot of uncertainty already. So they're all going into this rebuilding process while the Cardinals are just kind of staying steady and being steady Eddie right now might pay off in a big way over the next couple of years for the Cardinals. That's going to piss off a lot of Cardinals fans because as as we know, every day we're talking about Lindor, we're talking about uh, Correa, we're talking about Trevor Story, all these other guys. That ain't happening, first of all, and even though it's not happening, the Cardinals are still going to be battling for first place for the next two or three years in the Central Division. Heck, they might be running away with it based upon what I see here. The intriguing thing, too, if we're looking down the road, are what these teams look like in terms of farm system two, three years from now. I mean, let's be honest here. Milwaukee Brewers are going to be moving Josh Hader. That's going to get a haul, especially when you got a Devin Williams. Like, you can move on from that. The Cubs, we've already talked about. You might see the Reds decide to start shipping off some pieces. They have to, no? The Pirates have Josh Bell and a couple of other players that they can get rid of. All of these farm systems, not including the Cardinals, could skyrocket when it comes to shipping off some of these big pieces. So those three- to five-year window might look different for the Cardinals. You know what? Going back to our Cardinals situation here. With the $60 million coming off the books at the end of next season, the timing might actually be super perfect. Yeah. Because if the Cardinals are competitive and they look like they can be competitive no matter what, and they have this big pot of gold, we'll call it, that they've gotten after last season, they can go hand-pick a couple of players, and they don't even have to be rock stars. They could be guys like $8, $9, 10000000 million players and continue to build that team for another two to three years of dominance in that division. Or... Forget two or three guys in that eight to ten million dollars. Let's get it. let's get one. Let's get one guy. Well, whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. The reason why I say that is because you're right, Jamie. This is why when BT said 2024 the other day, it actually might be the opposite. 2024 might be when these teams are kind of back, right? That might be when, as you're saying with the Pirates, maybe their their farm system is replenished and you're starting to see them go in their next little cycle of a three-year run where they can actually be decent. Maybe that starts in around 2024-ish. Same thing could be true for the Cubs. Four or five years from now, they might be back on the way up as opposed to continuing this downward trend at that point. The Cardinals are the team that actually can take advantage of what the rest of the division looks like right now. Somebody on the text line said from the 314, this is the NFC East of baseball. You're not saying much. Yes. But if you're in the NFC East of baseball, going for baseball terms, 85 and 77 next year might be enough. 
that might be good enough to win the division. Now, the next year, if you can build on that and you bring in a big-time player to get to 90 or 93 wins, well, now we're talking about a team that's actually a competitor in the NL, not just the Central, but in the National League as a whole. This is why we bring up these big-time bats that are on the market uh, next offseason so often. It's the 2012-2013 Cardinal mentality. Like, you missed out on Pujols, you didn't bring him back, so you go out there and you get Carlos Beltran and you sign him for a one-year deal for somewhere to p- between $10, $20 million dollars but he is a spark plug for your offense and for your team. That's what next year could look like. This gap that we're talking about for 2021, yeah, it could suck, but 2022, you might be able to get a couple of those spark plugs rather than the Lindors that could take this team from just competing for first place to being the obvious choice in the NL Central first. Yeah, just competing might be just good enough to win the division. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's 11:13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll talk about this a little bit more coming up at 11:30 with David Kaplan. He's a host on ESPN 1000 up in Chicago. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. A quick would you rather? Would you rather be a fan of a team that Theo Epstein is running and you've got a 10-year life cycle and we now know what this looks like. You're going to be down for about half of those years and you're going to be a legitimate title contender for the other half of those years. Or would you rather be a team, a fan of a team that John Mosaylock is building? We've now seen what that looks like. Every year, you're going to win around 90 games and you're going to be competitive and probably be at least in competition to win your division every year would you rather root for a team that theo or mo runs we'll get into that coming up next on 101 espn we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn if you look at my track record in boston and then here in in the first six years or so we you know we did some some pretty epic things and and um and then the last you know the last couple years weren't as impressive and and maybe what that tells me is i'm i'm great at and really enjoy building maybe i'm not as good and not as motivated by by maintenance i respect the honesty that theo epstein speaks with it takes a lot to be able to say publicly and it's true like we can all see it based on the results right that He's not as good, clearly, at the maintenance of a roster. He's really good at building it. And then once you get to the maintaining, things start to wane off a little bit. Instead of becoming a dynasty, the Cubs became pretty good. A team that competed for the division every year. That's not what they were supposed to be, but it was still a successful tenure for Theo Epstein. So I appreciate the way that he speaks with honesty there. I asked coming into this segment, would you rather have Theo Epstein or John Mosaylock building your roster? Because we know what the cycle looks like with Theo Epstein. You're going to be good for about five of the years. You're going to be bad for about five of the years over the course of a decade. And you're going to legitimately compete for titles in that span. You're also going to have those down years. And there's going to be some years that really stink to watch as a fan. Moe's the opposite. He's the epitome of consistent. We have seen basically every year with John Mosaylock at the helm. You're going to be around 90 wins. You're going to make the playoffs, and then we'll see what happens once you get there. Jamie Ferrario, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. Who would you rather have running your team as a fan of that team? The Theo Epstein model or the John Mosaylock model? Well, this is a tough one. It is a tough one because I think as a fan, you automatically look at it and you go, I like the Epstein version because we're going to go out. We're going to knock everybody over, sign free agents, get some guys in here, and we're going to be a powerhouse. We're going to have some big names. It's going to be exciting baseball. 
Now, the flip side of that is it might all come crashing down at the end and you might be stuck with a really bad team for four or five years as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think I'd go with Theo Epstein. I think that if if you were to hire Theo Epstein, I think you hire somebody who's below him that is a maintenance person. So that once Theo goes out and does all his work and creates this mega team that he's going to win with, the years following that, you have the maintenance person who can then kind of come in and work their magic a little bit. Like, honestly, I know this isn't the question, but if you had a guy like Theo and John Mosellock yeah. on the same <laughs> staff, yeah. I think he'd be dangerous. But for me as a fan, a casual fan that, you know, actually super fan now, baseball expert, <laughs> let's not get it wrong here. I, I like the Theo Epstein model. I think the obvious choice is the Theo Epstein model. I mean, let's be honest here. You're asking if you want to be mediocre for 20 straight years, or do you want to be awesome, great for 10 years, and bad for four years, five years? You can suck it up for four or five years because that's cut off in between of 10 years where you are great and sustained pressure. And frankly, those 10 years that you're great, it really comes down to being a good general manager and being able to recognize the talent that you have and and find a way to sustain that which Theo talked about but the obvious choice is Theo Epstein's because you're going you're going to see great baseball consistently for 10 years you play to win the, the game. game it's very clear here you play to win titles and Theo Epstein's model the entire belief system that he pushes into your organization the day that he walks into the door is we're going to win a World Series here and hopefully multiple World Series here, but we are going to win at least one. We are not building to win the NL Central. We are not setting our sights on that. It is not about 90 wins. It is not about 3.4 million fans. We are going for titles. We're going for hardware. We're going to break streaks. It's different the way that he builds, and it's the way that I personally prefer to see a team built. Earlier today, Ben Fredrickson put together some of these numbers on the com- uh, comparison between the Cardinals since uh, Theo Epstein was hired and what the Cardinals have done in that same or in the Cubs have done in that same time. So regular season wins. The Cardinals actually have 50 more wins than the Cubs over this nine-year span. The Cardinals have 753. The Cubs have 705 over this nine-year span. Winning seasons. The Cardinals had nine, all nine seasons of the nine. The Cubs had six. So there were three losing seasons for Chicago in this nine-year stretch. NL Central championships. The Cardinals had four. The Cubs had three. So the Cubs actually had fewer NL Central titles over this nine-year span than the Cardinals did. Making the playoffs six to five in favor of the Cardinals playoff wins. The Cardinals actually had more over this span. They had 25. The Cubs had 19. The difference is the World Series. Cardinals went to one, lost it. Cubs went to one. They won it. But the entire time, the difference is the mindset to me, because you look at those numbers and you're like, actually, the Cardinals are better on this piece of paper than I would have anticipated. I'm sitting here going, man, maybe I made the wrong choice here. The difference is the feeling around the team. How many times since 2012 have you felt like the Cardinals realistically had a shot to win the World Series going into the season? Realistically? Like 13 and maybe 15? I was going to say two years. Maybe you can give it three because of just blind eye optimism but i would say two legitimate years where national perspective looks at the cardinals as a legit contender the cubs every year since 2015 i felt that way every single season 
2015 was the first of this little run. And maybe there was some hope and belief there in the last couple of years that it could potentially happen. But there was belief within that locker room and within that fan base that they would potentially be able to go to and win the World Series the last five seasons. Okay, but That's he, the difference. Here's where I think I, I start to go when I listen to all this and try to digest it all is if you're a fan of both of these teams, like if you're a Cardinals fan mm-hmm. or you're a Cubs fan, you look at it and you, you go, you know what? I might be frustrated as a, as a Cards fan because we haven't won a World Series, but I don't. I feel like we've overachieved at times. Whereas if I'm a Cubs fan and those numbers you just gave me and I listen to their fan base and their radio and they're all a little bit kooky as it is, <laughs> but I feel like every year they underachieve. I feel like every year they're disappointed. Every year they're ticked off, except for the year they win the World Series. Mm-hmm. So as a fan of that team, are you are you mentally healthier because you have a team like the Cardinals that are steady Eddie and, and get to the playoffs and win you games? Or are you the other fan that's ready to lose your mind because you're supposed to win three or four World Series, but you haven't? Is that where we're at right now with the Blues? Well, I don't know if we're at that point with the Blues because the Blues don't have a team that's stacked, right? Like, I think if you had, uh, who, who would we call stacked in the NHL that just loaded up on talent? I guess Colorado or Tampa. Colorado. I mean, even Washington to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. You know, the Blues have a great team, but I don't think if you look at it on paper, you go, ooh, that team is flashy. Like the Lightning for yeah. like last year. The Lightning were supposed to win this Stanley I mean, Cup. me personally, BK, I would like to be frustrated every season because yeah. they underachieved on missing out on winning the World Series because you know that this team is good enough to get there. The fact that the Cardinals have overachieved, like let's go back to when they beat the Braves two years ago. Mm-hmm. Like you overachieved, right, of making the postseason oh, and then spanking the Atlanta Braves in the first round. And then you're swept by the Nationals. And then you're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's more frustrating than them losing in six games in the World Series. It's about expectations. And the expectations that you're talking about for the Cubs have been really, really high over the last few years. And one year, they like totally missed the mark. It was 2019. They finished that season 84 and 78, missed the playoffs entirely, third place in the division, an abject failure by them to not be better than that in that, in that season. Other than that, though, since 2015, here's what they've done. Went to the NLCS, went to the World Series and won it. Went to the NLCS, lost in the wild card game, and then lost in the wild card uh, round this season as well. But that three-year span from 2015 to 2017, that's what you're looking for, man. Yeah, but it's a three-year span, then. It's not 10 years. That 10-year span is... You know, kind of fictitious when you look at it because you think, well, well, Theo Epstein came in and would you rather have a 10 years of dominance? It really turns into three years. It does. And that's what, what we're basically talking about is similar to 2012 through 2014 for the Cardinals, right? They went to the NLCS twice, went to the World Series once. They didn't win that World Series in 2013, but that was kind of their stretch like this. I think the difference for the Cubs, the difference in the feeling around that team is even in 2018 when they lost in that wild card game, even this season when they lost in the wild card round, they still had belief that they should go further. The Cardinals, when they lose early in the playoffs, it feels like that's right. It feels like the, the talent that is on the roster, they met expectations or even sometimes, like you're saying, Jamie, exceeded them mm-hmm. by getting to wherever they were when they played the Braves in the NLCS or they, when they beat the Braves rather and then went to the NLCS, lost to the Nationals. That felt like a huge overachievement for that team. 
The Cubs are more fun to watch, which I think plays into this. And that's a big part of what we're talking about here. And the expectations just seem to be a little bit higher for that team. So I would sign up for that. I'm not. After seeing the numbers and seeing the true comparison between the two, though, it's a lot closer than I would have expected. And I wouldn't blame any Cardinals fan who decided, you know what? I think I would rather have the Cardinals model because at least then, like you're saying, you do have the opportunity every year to play for something meaningful. There aren't those down cycles. There aren't the uh, years early on in the Theo Epstein tenure where you're going 61 and 100, uh, 66 and 96, and then 73 and 89. You don't have to go through that crap. You're going to be winning 90 games every year. You're going to have a winning record every year. That's fun. That's nice to have as a team. You know, going into the season, you can go to September baseball games and you're going to have a good time going to the ball club because they're going to be meaningful games. I get that completely. I just personally would prefer the the Cubs model. Personal preference there. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. David Kaplan is up in Chicago. He told us a few weeks ago on this exact show, he expected that Theo Epstein was going to walk away sooner rather than later. He's going to join us coming up next to react to the news from yesterday here on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. David Kaplan's joining us here on the show. You can hear him on Kaplan and J-Hood weekdays from 7 to 10 o'clock on ESPN 1000 up in Chicago. Joins us now to react to the news of the day yesterday. Theo Epstein officially stepping down as the president of baseball operations for the Cubs. David, always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy having you on the show. What was your reaction yesterday when you uh, originally heard the news well i was not surprised and it's great good morning great to be with you guys i wasn't surprised that this happened uh i think a lot of people were surprised that theo would step down at this point knowing there's a year left on his deal but you know in the midst of a global pandemic he sees his franchise has laid off a hundred people or furloughed them or terminated them And I think he looked and went, look, I've made a ton of money in this game, and I will make more. He'll have no shortage of suitors for whatever job he chooses to do next in baseball. But this way, the $10 he makes, that allows Tom Ricketts to maybe keep employees. That allows his now successor and dear friend, Jed Hoyer, to maybe say, you know what, I want to keep that pitcher or I want to add somebody to our roster. I mean, the Cubs are, I know, are owned by a wealthy family, but they are run as a business. And said business has lost almost $200 million this year because they make more in game day operations of their revenue. 72% of their game day or their revenue is game day operations, unlike most other teams. So it's it's been a tough go here. So, David, the obvious question, and you may not know, I'm sure it's just up for speculation, but what's next for Theo Epstein? I mean, we've heard rumors of trying to start a team, maybe moving into Major League Baseball front offices. I don't, what's next for this guy? If I'm a betting man, I think there is a role for him working in Major League Baseball that would allow him, because he's so well-respected on both sides you know, the owner's side, everybody loves him. The player's side, everybody loves him. So I think what, again, I don't think he has any hard, fast plan yet, but with a, a collective bargaining agreement that's going to be 
a really tough putt to try and figure out in a global pandemic where all the revenue streams are really a problem. It would not shock me to see him working in Major League Baseball. And then eventually, I think he buys a team, not an expansion team. I think a team comes for sale. He puts a group together, and he is the guy in charge running it. David, do you think he'd have any interest in becoming a commissioner of baseball at some point? Uh, I don't know. I've never asked him that question, but I think he'd be amazing. He's an attorney. As I said, he is an amazing people person. Um, this guy has been nothing. He's been, look, I've been in this a long time, almost 30 years. I've dealt with a lot of executives. Some were awful to deal with. Some were great to deal with. He is at by far the top of the list. I told him because at the time I was working on the flagship radio station and I was hosting their TV network. And I went to him nine years ago when he got hired. I said, I'm going to make you a deal. I have a job to do. There are going to be times you get mad at me, but I will never be that guy that hears a rumor. Hey, we just traded an A-ball pitcher for Albert Pujols in his prime and go put it on Twitter. And then you call me and go, how could you not at least give me the courtesy of asking me if that's true? And I said, but in response, I don't ever lie to me. And if I ask you a question you can't answer, just tell me I can't answer it. And it'll, it'll, your silence will speak volumes. And he shook my hand. He said, you have a deal. He called me yesterday and he said, hey, man, I just want you to know over nine years, yes, we tangled on me criticizing him for Jose Quintana or turning down Justin Verlander in a trade. But he said, in the big picture, you were a man of your word, and I hope I kept my end of the bargain. And that, that's all I can ask. He was transparent about where we were when he got here. We suck to, hey, we got a chance to win now. So he was awesome. When you look back on the years, and you mentioned you've been as close to this as anybody, David. When you look back on the Theo Epstein era in Chicago, obviously it's going to be remembered for the World Series. But besides that, and I know that's a big, hey, Mrs. Lincoln, other other than that, how was the play? But besides the World Series, how is this era going to be remembered in Chicago? Well, it's funny because I brought that up on my show today. Uh, and I said, as a Cubs fan, yes, I broadcast for them for a long time. I did 25 years hosting their pre and post. But as a Cubs fan, I was born a Cubs fan. I will die a Cubs fan. It's always been my team. The team I despise the most in professional sports are the St. Louis Cardinals. I literally hope they never score another run as long as the franchise is in existence. But I have the ultimate respect for how that franchise has been run. And so as a Cubs fan, and I told this to Theo today when we had him on, as a Cubs fan, it would be, okay, eighth inning, we're actually in the game against the Cardinals, and we're terrible, and they're awesome. But guess what? They got to hit behind the runner. They'll do it. Hey, guess what? They asked so-and-so to lay a bunt down. He'll get it down. Hey, they got to get a big pitch in a big spot. They'll get it done. Somehow, some way, the dirty Cardinals are going to find a way to beat us. And they have the Cardinal way, and it drove me insane. And when he got here, he said, we're going to have the Cubs way, and everybody laughed. And all of a sudden, five out of six years in the playoffs, three NLCS, a world championship, and the greatest victory other than the World Series year was 2015 when we beat the Cardinals at Wrigley to clinch the NLDS 
that was one of the great moments in my sports life to see Tony Larusa and the Cardinals having to hear "Go Cubs, go!" while we're moving on to the NLCS. And I, th- that's what I will remember most about Theo changing the perception of what a bunch of losers we are. Dave, I don't think I like your stories. Okay, um, I'm just gonna just gonna lay it out there. Uh, no, uh, look at I'm cool with that. Now that Theo is is moving on, uh, the Cubs are left with an interesting situation here. Probably not the greatest situation moving ahead. They've got a, they're looking to move some guys, looking to shed some salary in this pandemic world. How are the Cubs going to get out from under some of these contracts and start to build towards being a championship team again? Well, you know, first of all, having continuity by handing the keys to Jed Hoyer, he doesn't have to now establish relationships with new people in the organization. He doesn't have to establish relationships with all the media. And he's got to figure out, how do I get from my house to the ballpark? Like, he's been here. And he's going to be here now for, you know, I, I, I heard it was a five-year extension that he'll be here for a long, long time. So that stuff all makes it easier. In a pandemic where you've lost a ton of money, that obviously complicates it. But I think there's going to be some stunning decisions that you guys are going to be on the air and you go, do you see who the Cubs just non-tendered? Oh, my God, did you see who they just traded? And that's all they got back because – let me ask you something. Chris Bryant drove in seven more runs than the three of us combined this year. That's it. Now, he was I was making up. good he contact, Odin. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was just, the ball was just rocketing off his bat all year. And, you know, he's a guy who's got one year left on arbitration, then he's a free agent, so he's going to walk out the door. He's got Scott Boris, who inflates the value of his clients, and that's his job. I'm not denigrating him for it. Are you paying $20 million or thereabouts? for Chris Bryant and giving up a bunch of really good prospects. I'm not. No way. He's a great kid, but I, I can't convince you he's going to be 2016 MVP again. So I wouldn't be stunned if he got traded for next to nothing or non-tendered. Are you giving $10 million to Kyle Schwarber who hit a buck 89? I'm not. So they've got their share of issues here. They got to work through. But I think if you're transparent you're articulate. You lay out your plan. Say, hey, we're not going to be awful, but we're not going to be very good. We're going to get this thing fixed. I think there's some really breathtaking decisions coming. True or false, David? Uh, after hearing that, there's no team in baseball that was hit at a worse time for this pandemic than the Cubs then. Because, first of all, you've got the fact that they rely. I think I saw the number 70% of their revenue comes from the gate revenue. They had none this year, obviously. And then, like, as the secondary piece to this, this was supposed to be the offseason when you were able to get prospects for a lot of these guys. You're able to trade them off and replenish the system. And now, based on what you just said, they're likely going to get little to nothing for most of them. Is there any team in baseball that was hit harder by this timing of the pandemic than the Cubs? No. Now, let's just be clear. Some of this is their own fault for their loyalty to the core for refusing to move on when – Theo said to me on the air, on the record, I offered monster extensions to every one of our core guys. That would be Baez. That would be Bryant. That would be Contreras. That would be Addison Russell back in the day. That would be Kyle Schwarber. They already had Rizzo locked up. And all of those guys said, no, I'm good. I'm going to go to year year to year. Not one of those guys 
is ever going to come close to the money that they were offered. None of them. Now, again, nobody saw a pandemic coming, but you have to ask yourself when you're Chris Bryant and he can dispute this all he wants, I will go to my grave telling you I'm right, that he was offered $200 million. And they said, no, that's their right. Well, there's no one lining up if he's a free agent this year to give that guy $200 million. That's just a fact. So some of this is on the players. Some of this is on the Cubs' refusal to trade guys when they weren't performing at the level they should have been performing. So they were smacked. 72% of their revenue is from what we call game day operations. You mentioned gate revenue. They also have the hotel across the street. They got, I think, nine rooftops that they have bought up from the community. They put bars in Gallagher Way. They renovated Wrigley. They have a billion dollars of debt on their balance sheet. That is a fact. One billion dollars with a B. And now you've got no fans coming in. Oh, you picked a really good time to start your own TV network. That didn't work out very well. So, yeah, they're in a really tough spot. Final question for you, David. How long do you think it's going to be before we talk about the Cubs as a contender again? Uh, I'm going to say, because they do have some really, really good players in their A-double-A range of the minor leagues. I'm going to say the 2023 Chicago Cubs will be a contender. I like it. He's David Kaplan. You can hear him uh, weekdays on ESPN 1000 in Chicago. He's the co-host of Cap and Jay Hood. He weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Cap, we always appreciate the time, man. We look forward to talking with you again soon. All the best to you and the family. You got it. And go Billikens. Absolutely. That's David Kaplan here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. 2023. Again, I hope they suck until then, too. Really bad. <laughs> Winning like 55 games a year. Going to be great. I love Dave Kaplan, but I hope the Cubs suck. Can you imagine if they decided to non-tender, non-tender Chris Bryant? What do you, if what he said is accurate, which I'm sure it is, he sounds like a pretty confident guy. Sounds like he had a pretty good relationship with Theo Epstein. Yeah. If Chris Bryant really turned down $200 million, I think I might kick him in the balls you myself. you got to remember what Chris Bryant was, though. Yeah, he was, the, he he was the best player in not I just the National League, the American to League, too. Turn down $200 million, Alice. Think of that. After his 2016... God, I hate you so much. He was <laughs> at the plate, Paul Goldschmidt, and as a third baseman, probably not a gold glove winner, but pretty damn close to it. He was a hell of a defensive third baseman and was hitting like 25, 30 bombs a year to go with 40 doubles a year. I mean, he was amazing. It makes the most sense to non-tender him though, because like Cap said, like, what are you getting for him? Would you take a shot? Cardinals wise? I don't think he would come here. Let me say that up front. It's too boring for him. You're not paying him. If if he was willing to take a one year, $8 million pillow deal to be able to hit the market again next year and hopefully get, get his value back. Yeah, obviously it would make sense, but I don't think it would ever happen. Because if he sucked, they could just pinata him. (laughs) I'm being serious. Sign him. So am I. Sign him to be the uh, butcher. Yeah. If I was Mo, I would sign him on purpose just to take (laughs) the heat off myself. That's how you get fans going back to the stadium to boo him. Deflect it over. It's not my fault. It's his. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Have we talked about how disgusting that sounder is? We'll get into questions and answers That's coming up next said. on one hundred and one ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on one hundred and one ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air 
Comfort Service text line for questions and answers coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. Colton Wong had a multi-year offer from the Cardinals. Wait, what? We'll get into that here in just about 10 minutes or so. Oh, you can't do that to me. what happened there. All oh. right, so 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, if I gave you a free $100 and told you you have to put this on somebody to win the MVP in the NFL this year, who would you place that $100 bet on? So I've got the odds in front of me. These come from the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app, which you can get with the promo code 101. That way they know that we sent you. Mahomes right now is the most likely MVP. He's at plus 175, which means that if you put that $100 bet down, you could win 175 if he wins MVP. Guys, there's no half points on that for Rivers. Seriously. After him, it's Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers at 3-1. to Kyler Murray is at 8-1 to right now. There's a big drop off. Tom Brady's at 20 to 1. Josh Allen, 23 to 1. Ben Roethlisberger at 30 to 1. If you had to put a $100 bet on one of those guys, who would it be for you right now? As of right now, looking at things the way they're developing, the automatic would have been Russell Wilson, but he's had a couple of rough weeks, and I just don't know if he can recover from that. I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers. At 3 to 1. At 3 to 1, I like Aaron Rodgers. I think Kyler Murray, as much as, you know, I worry about him four or five years down the road, (laughs) as of right now, he's pretty darn impressive. But I just go with steady guy there, Aaron Rodgers. I just think that he's going to be steady the entire way the rest of the season. Is this risk-free like you get on FanDuel? Somebody is handing you $100, and you are going to put it down for whoever. Here we go. I'm about to turn that into $800. I'm going Kyler Murray. Now, look, I, I don't what happened to your boy, Josh Allen. I'm not going that far down the road. Jeez. 23 to one. Good odds. It's good odds, but I still don't. Uh, I still don't believe that much in Mr. Allen. Right, well, I'll remember that now when you start yapping. later. Don't please. But look, I, I think Kyler Murray is still a long shot because when you talk Kyler Murray, you got to talk DeAndre Hopkins, especially after that big catch that we saw in the Hail Mary. But if Kyler Murray continues to play the way he has in terms of rushing touchdowns and showcasing the arm that he has to throw to DeAndre Hopkins, kind of think you're almost in the scenario that Lamar Jackson was last year in terms of the rushing. Get a long shot, but I'll go Kyler. I think I'm with you. Uh, I like the odds at eight to one. He has a showcase game on Thursday night against the Seahawks. If he puts up a big game, I think this goes on both sides, right? If Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray have a big game on Thursday night, it's going to swing the odds one way or the other in one of their directions. I think Kyler can still win this thing, especially if if the Cardinals win the NFC West this year. They end up 12 and four and they win the West and they're the number one or two seed in the NFC overall. Kyler's definitely going to be in the conversation at the end of the year, especially because of his rushing upside that you talked about, Ferrario. I would take Kyler at eight to one. I like those odds the best out of all of these to be able to flip that into 800 bucks. That ain't a bad return. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, if 2021 was a normal season, there was no pandemic, 162 games were played, and fans were in the stands. Do you believe that the Cardinals' attendance would increase? decrease or hold steady with the current roster. Well, are we coming out of the pandemic where people are just jonesing to get back to the baseball park? Let's say or just like, like last year was just a normal year. In this hypothetical scenario tomorrow, this isn't going to happen, but tomorrow the vaccine was released and everything is normal by April 1st. So it's a normal season. I, everything else stays as is. Would be worth celebrating like that for sure. 
Uh, I think you'd see an increase for sure. I think the desire to see baseball again and to get back to the stadium, regardless of you know what you think, the Cardinals still made the postseason last year. And if they add anything, or even if they just stand pat, you're going to be excited to watch Dylan Carlson for the first time. You're going to be excited to watch Jack Flaherty again, and hopefully Wayno and Yachty are back. And if that's the case, then you're going to see a spike in attendance for sure. So I, I think it would be an increase. See, I'm going to go the other direction. I think it would be a decrease. I, I think if we're coming out of a pandemic, I think finances are going to look a lot different, and I don't think people are going to be willing to spend money on going to a ballpark when you can watch or listen. You're going to see some games kind of spike where people are coming out, but it's not going to be like we are used to seeing of consistent sellout. So I'm going to go decrease. I think it depends. Are we talking about the announced attendance or oh, the attendance geez. that's no, actually? Yeah, here we, we go. go. Welcome to the fence. How can you do that? Well, hold on, hold Welcome on. I'm going to give you the answer. We never actually know the numbers. Announced attendance, I think, will stay steady. I think it's going to be about what it was previously. Actual attendance, like when you're looking around, how many people are in the stands. If you go to these games, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the discrepancy between the two. See it at the Blue Stadium as well sometimes, Enterprise. Never. I would say it's happened more lately with the Cardinals, though. I would say it's going down, maybe not significantly, but in a way that is noticeable if this were the case, if you actually were able to get full fans in the stands. I think you'd look at the upper bowl and you'd be like, wow, there's... Not quite as many people up here as you would typically expect. Big Mac land wouldn't quite be as crowded as it typically would be on a Friday night. Well, because nobody can put a ball there, first of all. Hey, Paul DeYoung broke a light up there two years ago. Worked. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. (laughs) While he was painting. Bad boy Bader almost killed him. From the 618. Guys, when Petra left, you said that the Blues window closes quite a bit. After the signings and the full offseason has now been completed, more or less, do you believe that the window is still as open today as it would have been if Petro were still here? Uh, look, Doug Armstrong did an incredible job of getting Tory Krug. And I think by doing that, he certainly slowed the window from closing. Uh, Is it as wide open as it was with Petro? No, it isn't. It just isn't. Um, But do they still have an opportunity to compete? They do. The problem is they play in one of the toughest divisions, if not the toughest division in the NHL. And making the playoffs is going to be a challenge. And I, I don't mean because the Blues aren't a good team. It's just that competitive. So I feel like the window is definitely closed a little bit compared to when Petra was here, but I have to give full credit to Doug Armstrong for going out and getting Tory Krug in order to slow that down a little bit. Again, it's going to hinge on the emergence of Colton Pareko. If he's a rock star like everybody thinks he's going to be and he develops even further, the window opens a little bit. And if Justin Falk steps in and plays anything like he did two or three years ago in Carolina, all of a sudden now that window's open even more. So uh, Doug Armstrong did a great job of slowing that down. Yeah, I told it to the fast lane and said, look, if Petro's gone, that window closes about as far as you can get. But uh, the fact that you got Tory Krug, he opened it back up like the beginning of spring to let some of that air in. And I think that's what they're going with. I think the Blues are the third best team in the in the Western Conference right now. Wow. Right behind the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. And I think that can dip depending on a couple of individuals play. But I also think that could rise in terms of a couple of individuals. Play. I like your optimism, Alex. Who's better? For what? Those two. Better than that? Yeah. Well, they got a lot of teams out there. Calgary Flames is going to be strong, too, this year. 
Your mind some goaltending? They're going to have a yeah. strong team. I didn't like going up against Vancouver last year. I'm going to go ahead and throw it. Vancouver <laughs> lost their goalie and their defenseman. Vancouver will be a work in progress. I think that Colorado, I think Nashville is going to be better this year than they were last year. I still think you're better than Nashville, though. I think we're about the same as Nashville. And I think that that's where it lies as a problem is you fall into that mid-tier. Mm-hmm. Maybe fifth is, is where I, I would put it. I think that they kept the window open as much as they could given their circumstances. And I, that's that's full credit to Doug Armstrong. They went out and got the best player that they possibly could given where they were. They were able to make it work a little better with who's going to play where on the defensive pairings. It makes sense. That doesn't mean they're a better team by losing Alex Petrangelo. So I think they got a little bit worse, but they made the best of what would have otherwise been a pretty terrible situation for them. So I'll say they kept it open as much as they could. But yes, the window did shut a little bit based on losing one of the best defensemen in all of hockey. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. So hold on. You're telling me Colton Wong had a multi-year offer from the Cardinals? When? And how much was it for? And what does this tell us about their offseason plans? We're going to talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. So I was on Twitter last night and I saw a report from Bob Elliott. He covers baseball from Toronto. It says, hey, he's hearing that the Blue Jays are interested in former Cardinals second baseman Colton Wong. Like, oh, that makes sense. Colton's getting some interest out there. I'm sure he's going to do well for himself on the open market. I hope he lands with a contender. He's going to love Buffalo. Toronto seems like a wonderful market. And when he plays in Buffalo instead, that's going to be probably pretty disappointing. Buffalo Blue Jays. And then he continued. Again, this comes from Bob Elliott, who covers Toronto baseball. Colton Wong already turned down a multi-year offer from St. Louis. What? Hold on. What? That's when I had to read it a <laughs> few on. times to Go myself. Go back over that again because yeah. I wasn't really listening. So this is a tweet from Bob Elliott. Hearing the Blue Jays are interested in Cardinals free agent second baseman Colton Wong, who has already turned down a multi-year offer from St. Louis. So I don't know Bob Elliott. I don't know how trustworthy this report is. I know nothing about it. But if we're going to take it at face value, and he seems to be a reputable reporter. Has he got a blue check mark? He does. Well, works well, up in the Toronto market. You got a blue check That's mark. That's true, too. So uh, you know what? Mm-hmm. Well played. <laughs> if he did indeed turn down a multi-year offer, that seems to suggest that the Cardinals are interested in bringing him back at least. No. Oh, Depends yeah. Depends what the offer was. Well, and that's, that's why I think he turned it down. If sure. he did turn it down, because I'm assuming they... They didn't give him that option because they're not paying him $12.5 million. They probably gave him a three-year opportunity with something less than $10 million. Yeah, what, for three-year, sure. $20 million is probably yeah, something and this is, like And that. this is post-gold glove, so, so why would Colton Wong sign that? Absolutely. However, it at least tells you that there's some money for them to be able to spend, right? I mean, if yeah, if, the money they were using on Colton Wong, oh, they just recycled all, it back. You were on that Wong. optimism hype train now. Oh, oh, so here's why I say this, because there was an article from Derek Gould recently, right after there was the announcement that they decided not to bring Colton Wong back. They were not going to exercise that option. Mm-hmm. And Colton Wong told Derek Gould, if they were interested in talking extension, I would have done so. So at that point, based on these timestamps, basically, my understanding would be they had not talked extension with Colton Wong then. Now they apparently have. So they declined. 
They the declined the option. Explode right now. And now they have since talked to him about an extension. <laughs> you are the epitome of taking yarn and putting it on thumbtack to thumbtack to thumbtack right Give now. This, right? I was wondering it was all over the dry erase board. There's lines everywhere, I dates mean, and times. It makes sense, though. Like, at sure. the time, you're declining that option because you're saving that $11.5 million. But yep. in your mind, being the Cardinals, the bow tie, the mow tie is on. Let's see if we can get Colton back for three years. You know what, Colton? You were a phenomenal player defensively. We still think there's offense there. We'll give you $21 million over these three years. Yeah. But if you're Colton Wong, hell no. If I'm if I've gotten to this point, I'm going to the market. Sure. But I agree. The optimism's there that they still have, tries to go four million to the good on that one. That the money is there. You're willing to spend the money on Colton Wong, and we've already established that they have said they're trying to bring back Yadi and Ueno. I'm just surprised that this money is there, and it gives me a little bit of optimism that well, if the money, it's not really there though. So, like, understand? I guess maybe I'm not Jamie, understanding. I was under the understanding that there is zero yeah, money, but I guess and now they you're telling it. me that they found five dollars in the couch, and I'm like, okay, I well, can spend that five dollars <laughs> because they put ten dollars in the couch when they get rid of Colton Wong. I wish so I could find that five dollars in the couch afterward to find that is a deal for them. They're still saving some money, hundred percent. But no, not 100%, just a piece of it. 50%. But if there is $5 in the couch and they found $2 that was tied together with bubble gum over in the in the trash can somewhere, and then they put 50 cents on top of the uh, dishwasher five years ago and they found that too, mm-hmm. well, now I've got 750 to be able to go play with that I can, you know, look at Jock Peterson or Tommy Listell or oh, your guy Jonathan Scope. There it is. Why are we back to this? It's something. It's something that we can work with where previously I thought it was $0 in the coffers. Now there's something there. And if they did offer, even if it is a low ball offer, and I know that there's a lot of people on the text line right now, 65780, that are saying, hey, clearly it was a low ball. That's why he declined it. I get that. That's why I didn't even mention it. If it's something, though, that means that they can take this to the market elsewhere. They have money that they can give to somebody to improve this roster. And I didn't know... 24 hours ago, if that was necessarily going to be the case for the Cardinals this offseason. But are they going to take that money elsewhere if it's not Colton Wong? Because part of me wonders if they're doing this with Colton Wong because he's the homegrown talent. Yeah. He's a gold glove winner back to back. Are or you going to do the same thing with Yachty and Wayno? Yeah. Is lowball them, try to make a few bucks off the deal, shed some of what they were making. It's cover your ass, isn't it? If you're John Bozalock and company. Like, hey, look, we want a Colton Wong back. We gave him a three year deal. Maybe we we're not going to tell people that it was a total of six million dollars total over the three year, but we gave but, it to him. But it was an offer. It was an offer. I'll take it right now. I know you would, but Yachty won't. Sure. But right now, given the the time, given what we've heard about their financial situation and how they view their financial situation, anything that I can take that is a breadcrumb that suggests that there is even a dollar to spend I will take that in my favor right now because this suggests to me that there is if if there is a player out there that is lacking offers and they at least have a little bit of upside, maybe the Cardinals are interested. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll give them two, three, four million dollars. Yeah, so they're looking for a bargain, basically, that they'll they'll sign you, but sure. it's going to be at like bottom of the barrel prices. What will be interesting is if they Is so- that a realistic strategy though? It's, it's their the only strategy, strategy right now for strategy. them. I, I, the, the interesting part will be if they sir, if both sides circle back to each other, or if this was 
not to say an insult to Colton Wong, but I wonder if when they declined the option, Colton Wong was done with St. Louis. I mean, he put the he put the post out yep. thanking St. Louis. Like I wonder, that was for his birthday. No, it wasn't for his birthday. I wonder if he completely has wiped the Cardinals off the screen. So even if you're offering a three-year deal, there's no conversation to be had right now. I think under ordinary circumstances, yes, you'd have that. I think under pandemic circumstances, I think players and most agents not named Boris will probably be pretty realistic with the fact that teams are trying to shed some salary and that the offers are not made out of insult, but more of trying to salvage their budget. That's what I would believe. I'd love to run this by Danny Mac. He's going to join us coming up next. What does he make of the fact that this report suggests that the Cardinals offered Colton Wong a multi-year deal? I don't know what it was for. There is no further information. That is the only information that we have here. I would imagine, as somebody on the text line mentioned, this is probably coming from the agent. Because where else would the information come from from a Toronto reporter? If it was coming from the Cardinal side of things, it probably would have been reported here in St. Louis. So I would imagine it's coming from the agent that is telling this reporter, hey, the Blue Jays have shown interest in Colton Wong. He's previously declined a multi-year oh, yeah. offer from the Cardinals. I understand where that's I like coming that from. like that strategy. Makes a lot of sense. Doesn't have to say what the offer was, nope. but there was a multi-year offer that on the table, and we said no. It have to be true. Absolutely. What does Danny Mac make of this? Does this give him any sort of excitement about what the Cardinals could do out there in the market? And I've got some real questions about these non-tender guys that are out there. I looked through the entire list yesterday. These guys all stink. We'll ask Danny Mac if he can find somebody that actually helps this baseball team when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Danny Mack is joining us here on the show via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Hear him weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mack. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I am doing well. How about you guys? Oh, we are absolutely fantastic. So, Dan, in the last segment... <laughs> BK's head's going to explode, Danny. <laughs> Just a heads up for you, bud. We were okay. talking about well, a report. This, this is nothing uh, of a surprise to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let, BK. let me set the table here before my, my partner here jumps in. BK had a few extra minutes on his hand, <laughs> and he literally did like the FBI crime world and put a piece of yarn around a multiple different pictures and timelines, and he's come up with something... And, and yeah, you know, he, uh, BK, I'll hand it off. So, Dan, um, yes. with that wonderful introduction, there's a gentleman by the name of Bob Elliott who covers baseball up in Toronto. He used to cover oh, the yeah. Expos and the Jays. He tweeted out last night, hearing that the Blue Jays are interested in Cardinals free agent second baseman Colton Wong, who has already turned down a multi-year offer from St. Louis. Now, I'm not surprised that there's interest elsewhere in Colton Wong. That makes a lot of sense to me. He's a good baseball player. What I was surprised by was the end of that sentence where he said, has already turned down a multi-year offer from St. Louis. I don't know what you know about this, if you know anything about this, but I wanted to ask you about it. It, it, Has there been a multi-year offer extended to Colton Wong? And what does that tell you about the Cardinals' potential interest in bringing him back if there has been? I have not heard that. Uh, Nothing would surprise me, though, in terms of wanting him back. Um, I don't think they would close the door on Colton Wong. I think one of the things that you'd have to say is that he's not going to come back at $11.5 million or $12.5 million. I think, you know, one of the things that I thought that they would try to do 
was initially when this happened and they said, hey, we're, you know, rejecting the, the option. You know, my thought process was that they would try to bring him back in a multi-year deal. That was my initial thought process from the beginning. So nothing would surprise me. It just wouldn't. The one thing that would surprise me is that they would bring him back at that initial price. So, uh, I, you know, nothing surprises me. But what would surprise me is it, at that price. So, you know, trying to bring him back at a, at a different price level. No, that wouldn't surprise me. The amount of that money uh, would surprise me. Now, Danny, if we're talking about guys who have been, well, lack of better words, let go or not not signed yet or re-signed by the Cardinals, is there? A, do you think there's been an offer at all made to Yachty or Wayno yet? I mean, so it would indicate to me that maybe Mo would at least have thrown out some kind of a number, or do you think they'll just wait and see what Yachty comes back with? Well, I I think they're you know kind of just seeing where the marketplace goes at this point, and I'm sure they've told both of them, look, before you sign anywhere, you know, you come back to us, and we're going to make this thing go as far as we can with our resources to make this as attractive as we can and as fair as we can on our on our part, and they they have a pretty good idea of what it's going to take, I'm sure, but they're going to make sure that they do everything they can to try to make sure that they get these guys back. Um, now what that looks like, I don't think anybody knows exactly until we get to December 2nd and we start seeing the marketplace move. Now we did have a, a little movement with Drew Smiley at $11 million. Um, we saw Robbie Ray resign with Toronto. So we, we've had a little movement, but I don't think anybody really knows what the marketplace is going to look like until we hit December 2nd. Let, let's stick on that path, Dan, because you mentioned uh, Smiley and the contract that he got $11 million and for one year from the Braves. I think the the question here is twofold. What do you think that signifies for the market? Because that seems like a lot more than I would have expected from him in this market. And second of, of all, what does that mean for Wayno and potentially going to the Braves? That certainly takes up at least one spot in the Braves rotation right there. Well, one of the things that the Atlanta Braves have done, they've had success now on these one-year deals. I mean, when you look at the bringer of rain uh, a couple of years ago in, in Josh Donaldson, that was a move that paid off for the most part for them. One-year deal for Ozuna paid off for them last year. One-year deal with Smiley. Um, you know, they're hoping that that move pays off. And if you look at on the surface, you say, yeah, that, that's kind of a lot of money. But you look at how he finished up the season, his strikeout rate went way up. Um, and he was throwing two to three miles an hour harder. And with the injuries that they've sustained in their rotation, they needed to bolster that thing. And also, they, they've gone with a system very similar to what Tampa Bay did, which was get through with their starters a lineup, you know, one or two times through a lineup, and then kind of have those mid-tier guys to get to the back end of their bullpen. So adding arms as much as they can is what they want to do which seems to be what a lot of teams now, that kind of is the model. So in terms of Wainwright, I, I don't, I'm not sure that necessarily says, well, we're out of that market. I, I think they're going to be looking to add arms as much as they can. And how that pertains to Wainwright, time will tell. But it, it wouldn't tell me that they're out of that market one bit. Danny, we were chatting with Dave Kaplan earlier from Chicago, and he discussed you know, Theo Epstein leaving, obviously, and some of the players that they have uh, currently on the roster that they'd like to move on from. But the one thing that caught me a little bit was he literally said, I think you're going to be shocked at who's non-tendered and who's going to be available from the Cubs. If that's the case and multiple teams around Major League Baseball are thinking the same thing, 
How is how will that affect the unrestricted free agents that are out there right now? And how much will that drive down the market for your mid-tier guys? Well, I think your middle-tier guys could be on the outside looking in. Uh, I, I really do, Jamie. I, I think there's going to be some big names of guys that when we get to baseball, they're looking for jobs. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. But I do think that that is where we're going um, because there's going to be a, some of these mid-tier guys will sign because there's going to be deals out there to be had on one-year deals for these players. But some of the really good guys could be looking for jobs, and some of the higher-paid guys will be saying, hey, I'm not going to accept that, and they'll be looking for jobs. I I think it could be shocking for some of these players. And in talking with – I was actually talking to a a prominent person in the game uh, within the last week. They think that it's going to be shocking potentially for some of these bigger-name players that are going to hit the market. It's going to surprise a lot of people that will not be tendered contracts, and they're going to be shocked that they're not going to be picked up because they're thinking that their value is going to be higher than what this – particular marketplace is going to bear and it's going to be eye-popping some of the names that are out there and that that those names do not get picked up it's going to be fascinating it really will be we're talking to Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN so after talking a little bit about some of those surprises and one of them earlier today that David Kaplan specifically mentioned was Chris Bryant he's like hey listen if I'm the Cubs I'm not picking up a 20 million dollar tender for Chris Bryant I'm just not doing it and he doesn't think that there's any trade value out there for him either it seems to me Dan like the Cubs are pretty clearly going into a rebuild here with them going into the rebuild, the Pirates being awful, the Brewers taking a little bit of a step back, the Reds not having probably Trevor Bauer in the rotation this year. Are the Cardinals pretty clearly the favorites in the NL Central at this point, even if they don't add externally? I think they're among them. Um, I think the division looks fairly weak, and you look at what the division did in postseason play, and they got beat up a little bit. Um and the Cardinals have what everybody wants, which is pitching. And they can win games because of their pitching, and you're playing primarily within your division. Yes. Uh, and the other thing that you have to look at, too, is that a lot of these teams are not poised to all of a sudden call up a bunch of great prospects. None of these teams are poised to say, well, we are in the top five, let's say, in baseball in our minor league systems. Uh, that includes the Cardinals. Cardinals are in the middle of the pack. Um, they've got some good young pitching coming up that can help. They've got really good young pitching coming up, but not like a whole wave of guys coming up to say, well, we've got these guys that are going to help right now. It might be in two years, but they've got one or two guys that could help next year. So that's something to keep in mind too. So I think with the pitching that they have coming back, they, they definitely would be in the driver's seat to be considered, I think, one of the favorites to win that division, maybe by default. Dan, final question that I've got for you. We we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Who do you think is the most likely Cardinals player that is currently on the roster, so coming from in, in the, the inside right now, to provide some offensive improvement next year? Because if they're not going to spend a lot of money, you're going to have to improve somewhere. It's probably going to have to come from within. Who do you think is the most likely to player to improve or, or to provide that improvement? Well, can I give you two names? And Please. I know it's you know it's two names that you've heard year in year out. But it's Tyler O'Neill and it's Lane Thomas. I mean, you know, I think the Cardinals will go out and get themselves an outfielder. I think they have to. And if they do that, let's say it's a Jock Peterson. I'm just going to throw this out there 
because if, if that's the guy, and I, I'm just going to throw that out there, or a left-handed bat, then that becomes a platoon with Bader. So then who else is there left? Then it's, it's going to be O'Neill or it's going to be Elaine Thomas, and it's going to be the combination of one or the other. And they're trying to find guys that hit the ball out of the ballpark. And the way the game is played, and even Theo Epstein mentioned this yesterday, and he said, maybe I'm a contributor to this, and I don't necessarily like it, but guys that are the three outcome guy, strikeout, walk, home run, it's not necessarily entertainment, but this is how the game is played. That's Tyler O'Neill right now. If Tyler O'Neill got 500 at-bats, he's a guy that probably hits you 25 home runs with a ton of strikeouts. Um, that's just the way the game is played. So if he got four to 500 at-bats, he's going to hit for some power. He's going to have stretches where he's going to get you some doubles and hit you the ball out of the ballpark. And if Lane Thomas, and, and Lane Thomas, guys, was not right at the end of the year. COVID messed him up. I, I don't care what anybody says. He did not look right. And maybe he comes back into camp and he's the kind of player that we projected him to be, which is a, a steady major league player. Maybe not great, but steady. Um, if it's coming from within, it's got to be from one of those two guys. And that's the way I would look at it. He's Danny Mack here on weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Check out his podcast, 101ESPN.com, Scoops with Danny Mack. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Danny Mac TV. Dan, we always appreciate the time. We look forward to talking with you again next week. You got it. See you tomorrow, guys. You got it. That's Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. I... I understand if you're a Cardinals fan and you just heard that. And I asked him, who's the, who are the players internally that can provide that offensive improvement? And he says, listen, it's Tyler O'Neill and it's Lane Thomas. Don't say it again. And you're, you're a Cardinals fan and you're sitting in your car and you're like, you know, you can do nothing but roll your eyes, right? We've been hearing this for three years now. I understand that reaction. I also think it's the right answer. Well, it's the only answer. I mean, who who else are well, the yeah. options? Who else is going to come and improve offensively? Really? There who? aren't a whole lot of options. Because last year we saw at the end of the season, Dylan Carlson was playing really well. He was hitting really, really well. Mm-hmm. The offense still wasn't good enough. Paul Goldschmidt had a tremendous season offensively. It wasn't good enough. Colton Wong is now gone. You had Tommy Edmond. Maybe he can revert back to more of what he was in 2019. Maybe that's a guy that you would look at for some of that offensive improvement. But... I mean, Paul DeYoung has shown flashes, but he hasn't been super consistent at the plate. Harrison Bader is what he is at well, this he point. He actually got better he last was, year. He was fine last he year. He showed improvement. Not, not the improvement we would like. I, I hate to say this, and people are going and to Dexter hate. Dexter Fowler was good last year when he, he was played. De- yeah. People are going to hate to hear it. Matt Carpenter's name needs to be out there. For it's what? Bad. This guy, for an improvement. <laughs> wait, wait, what did you just can, say? Can you go the other way? I mean, no. I guess you can. I think we've been crossing our fingers on that one. That's the one I'm done crossing my fingers on. But let's on. be honest. He's going to get 100-plus at-bats. He's not going to be a bench player. If you're not improving, he's going to be an everyday third baseman slash DH. But I moved on from that one. Well, I am. There's three options. It's Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, and Matt Carpenter. Well, at least we're not saying Jack Peterson's freaking name. And Jock Jock Peterson is going to get willed into the St. Louis Cardinals mm, we're gonna lineup. expect him into the lineup. Right? Seriously, at this point, I feel like Jock Peterson has to call Mo and just say, look, your whole town has already signed me. Let's get this over with. Whole town meaning just BK. That's not well, true. Dan I was Mac one of the last ones it. on the Jock Peterson train. I'm not even sure he's a great player. <laughs> I, just... I don't know anything about him, really. He spells his name J-O-C. Let's talk about Jock like Peterson no. and how people, including Danny Mac, who I love. I love Danny Mac. 
have to stop talking about this, these non-tender guys being the saviors of the free agent class. I looked through the entire list yesterday. Most of these guys are Lane Thomas. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. If I had a million dollars for every time, hell, five dollars for every time that somebody said, oh, listen to all these non-tenders that are going to be out there on December 3rd. There's going to be so many good baseball players. You're going to have so many options to be able to improve the roster. Man, I'd be a very, very wealthy man here Mm -hmm. pretty soon. Except for the fact that I look at the list of the guys that are potentially going to be non-tendered. Guys, it is not all that exciting. I was looking at this last night on MLB Trade Rumors. They do a fantastic job of keeping track of this kind of stuff. And the players that stood out to me as being like the best options for the Cardinals to be able to legitimately improve the lineup. Travis Shaw, he's a utility infielder, left-handed bat. He had a terrible year last year. He's fine. Potential bounce-back candidate for the cards. Danny Santana, again, another utility player. Fine player, switch hitter. Could help them a little bit. Tommy Pham, well, yeah. And then Eddie Rosario, who actually is a pretty good player for the Twins. He's a left fielder, left-handed bat, legitimately good player, 29 years old. If he were available, he actually does improve the lineup. And so that that is one that I will point to and say, okay, If he were non-tendered, it it would make a lot of sense for the Cardinals to go after him. Uh, He's expected to this offseason have like a $9.5 million tender. So he's got a pretty bloated salary at this point in his career. Otherwise, most of these guys are the players that the Cardinals have. The teams that are going to be helped by the non-tenders are the teams that have a lack of average players. They have like a, a mega hole at second base. They have a guy who is just... He should be playing in double A and he's playing in the big leagues, right? There's a lot of average players out there that can be a 250 hitter that gets on base at a fine clip and plays okay defense. The Cardinals have a million of those, both in the big leagues and in the minors right now. They need the difference makers. Teams that are going to be helped by this are the teams that want to improve their floor. The Cardinals are trying to improve their ceiling. They have a great floor already. They're going to win 80, 80 to 85 games no matter what. The players that are going to be out there because of the non-tenders, Jamie, are the ones that they already have. They've got Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas and Tommy Edman. They've got a bunch of dudes that basically profile as the exact same types of players. I don't think that there's a whole lot of guys out there that are going to significantly improve this team that are getting non-tendered. So this is a list of guys or the guys that you've circled that you think are going to be available that probably shouldn't be, right? This is the list of players that maybe would actually help them. So, they, like, tra- Travis Shaw is fine. Danny Santana is fine. Yeah, I'm not worried about the, the list so much as, you know, in talking to Dave Kaplan earlier, we heard that he said, well, Chris Bryant mm-hmm. would be a guy. Well, how many teams out there are going to do that move where it's not on the list yet or speculated yet, So, but then we get surprised by an absolute avalanche of non-tendered players that could actually help. So for what it's worth, Chris Bryant was on this list. I didn't include him because I think there's a 0% chance that the Cardinals could sign him. If he's going to sign somewhere else, I would imagine it's in a hitter-friendly ballpark and certainly not one in St. Louis, given the comments that we've heard in the past from Chris Bryant. uh, They had basically all of the Cubs on this list. Uh, They had Albert Almora as one of the Cubs. Kyle Schwarber was one of the Cubs that was on this list. I just don't know how many of them make a lot of sense here and how many of them the Cardinals would actually be active in going after. Um, but they were all on this list. They were mentioned as possibilities. I just didn't include them. Two of them that you said at least stick out to me. One, obviously, as you mentioned, Eddie Rosario. He's an upgrade over every outfielder that you have on this roster. He's got pop. Yeah. He's got speed, defense. 
I think Travis Shaw is an upgrade for you. Now, he had a rough year with Milwaukee last year, I believe. Two years ago. Two years ago. But still, I mean, look, if you're diving into the bargain bin and you're spending money on these guys, you're going off of hope. You're going off of what they were and you hope that they can do that again, right? Travis Shaw for Milwaukee at one point was a 30 home run guy. He was a guy who was hitting in the heart of their order. Mm -hmm. He's a lefty, which is kind of like what Brad Miller was for you. And he gives you above average defense at third base. I think he's an upgrade. It depends on how much you're willing to spend on him. And it depends on what he brings. Yeah. I like, if you're going to go that route, you brought up Jock Peterson in the last segment, Jamie, (laughs) I would rather just get Jock Peterson because he's been better more frequently. What about Tommy Pham? I'm fine with yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. The Cardinals will not do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's I mean, the problem is a lot of these guys are just like, okay, we can bring up the names. It's fun to talk about. But the Cardinals aren't signing Tommy Pham. No. Chris Bryant's not he's signing here. stabbed twice. I would love to bring Chris Bryant to St. Louis, but he, he's not coming to St. Louis. And let's be honest. Tommy Pham is the same as Jack Flaherty. Like, he's betting on himself. He's not going to take a, a cheaper deal regardless of free agency for him. He's going to wait till somebody pays him what he feels he's worth. So when I bring up these names, the reason why I wanted to talk about this today is because we hear so often and it's it's every guest that we have on. And I hear it on other other shows. I hear it on MLB Network all the time. Hey, wait until December 2nd, December 3rd. There's going to be so many non-tendered players that hit the market. And that's true. There's going to be a ton of players that are available. But how many of them actually upgrade what the Cardinals have? Because if we're going to just talk about guys Cardinals have those. They have a lot of guys. They have a lot of players that are on the roster that are fine. They don't have a lot of difference makers. And so the Cardinals are out there looking right now. They're trying. They should be big game hunting. They, they should be looking for that upside. And a lot of the players that we're talking about, the reason why they're getting non-tendered is because they don't have that upside anymore. They've reached that potential and now they're on the downside. They're on the downward trend. The Cardinals don't really need that guy. They've got him in Matt Carpenter. So what's the point of going out there and getting another Matt Carpenter, but for cheap? I don't think that really significantly upgrades them in any way. Yeah, I don't think that will um, that will keep the Cardinal Nation very happy if we pick up another player that is uh, of the Matt Carpenter ilk at cheaper, this point. Which helps. I do think there is a player out there, though, that's going to hit this market that everyone's overlooking. I, I think there will be somebody that hits this market come December that everyone is saying, watch these non-tenders. I, I, there's going to be somebody that you cannot believe hit the market because the team just decided to go another direction. I don't know who it is, but I feel like that name will come up at some point. I mean, heck, I just read the Nationals, and, and I know he's not a name that makes people's eyes pop out of their heads, but Yasmani Tomas just signed with the Nationals. Guy who can play second base, a guy who can play outfield. He had some pop in the past. Not great. But again, when you're diving, I know, but when you're diving into this yeah, bargain, you're diving bin, into the bargain bin, he hasn't you're not been in the big league since 2017. He's been in the minors for the last two years. But when you're diving <laughs> into the bargain bin, you're going off of hope every really good there, season. I just, I, that's the type of guy that's going to be available. Like if you want to bounce back here for somebody that ha- hasn't been good in the last couple of seasons, you could probably go get that guy. You, you could probably well, not go anymore. Get he just signed. Right. But I'm saying like not specifically Asmani Tomas, yeah. but that, that profile of a player, they're going to be available all over. Well, at least you didn't say the name that I despise hearing. I just I don't think that that's any different than Lane Thomas. I would Jack rather Peterson. bet on Lane Thomas, who's already here, who I've seen be pretty decent in a Cardinals uniform, as opposed to going out and paying three million dollars for one of these guys. If you do want to look at a couple of players that maybe like you're saying would be real surprises that they hit the market, I would be absolutely stunned, stunned if this happened. If Matt Chapman was non-tendered, 
He's making $3.5 million projected next year in his first year of arbitration. Again, I don't believe this is going to happen, but he does have a significant injury to his hip right now. If he got non-tendered by the A's, he's a former MVP candidate. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a difference maker. Again, I don't see that happening. Another one, Mitch Haniger. He's 30 years old. He's an outfielder for the Mariners. He's hit like 25, 30 homers in the past. He could significantly help you. He's projected to make $3 million. I don't know why the Mariners wouldn't pick that up, but if they decided against it, that's a name that maybe helps you. Again, those would be the real surprises that you're talking about, though, Ferrario. The realistic guys that are probably going to be available I don't see a whole lot going on there to excite me. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer today. Jamie, what do you have for us, my friend? Okay, so the New York Giants are having a so so season, as we know, right? No. Daniel Jones hasn't been an MVP quarterback this year. Just asking you guys before I get into this, how would you rate the offensive line for the New York Giants? Not good. Not good, right? Um, Not great. Okay, thank you, Mo, for that one. Well, apparently, uh, Joe Judge, the head coach, also thought that the offensive line stinks. Now, he didn't take it out on the players. Apparently, he went and got face-to-face with Mark Colombo, who is the offensive line coach. And Mark Colombo, if you haven't seen him, he's a pretty big dude. Disclaimer. This has since been reported that it didn't happen. Just a disclaimer. Just heads up. It's still alleged. Yeah. And based on what I'm reading, (laughs) which I believe to be true, because it. it, (laughs) it sounds more likely to be true, especially knowing Joe Judge, Apparently, they got into an altercation, a fist fight. And according to people who were there, allegedly people who were there, uh, Mark Colombo fed him his lunch. And so then following that, whether it was based on getting his ass beaten or that the fact that the offensive line stinks, uh, Joe Judge has fired offensive line coach Mark Colombo and Mm -hmm. hired Dave D. Guglielmo. I don't know. (laughs) Nice. G-Man. DG. Did he hire him? (laughs) Did he hire him because he's smaller and tinier? So if Joe Judge needs to fight him, he won't get his lunch fed to him? It might be that. There could be that reason behind it. Um, Have you guys ever seen? Never mind this. I don't even care about the Giants. (laughs) Never mind this story. I don't even care about it. I mean, who cares? Like, it's totally possible. I know that they're trying to debunk it or whatever, but it's totally possible. I mean, Joe Judge was running laps with his players and doing all sorts of... He's an insane person. Yeah. 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 He's an insane person, so I believe that this story is probably pretty accurate or at least close to it. Have you guys ever seen managers fighting each other, coaches fighting a manager, player, coach, player? I've Not seen, in person. I've seen it a couple times. Really? I've seen it television. In television, Reggie Jackson and Billy Martin. Mm-hmm. This is way before your time. Mm-hmm. Reggie Jackson literally hits a home run and comes running back into the dugout, and Billy Martin's, like, waiting to chirp him, and they just go after it. They get after each other. Who's the dude that Pedro threw? Is it? Oh, that was uh, uh, Zimmer. Zim, Don, Don Zimmer? Zimmer? Yeah, Don that was, Zimmer. That was probably – I don't know if I've ever seen my father laugh as hard as I did when he, when Pedro Martinez just barrel-rolled Don Zimmer by his head. Well, Pedro, that was a tough position. Don Zimmer was going after him. What's he supposed to do, right? It's like a 76-year-old right. man come barreling at Pedro Martinez. And opposing teams as well, which changes it a little bit. Oh, this is The crazy part about this one is it's internal, right? And so, like, at, at a training camp, you expect the players maybe to go after mm-hmm. it a little bit. But coaches? Nah. That's a little different. 
that's that's you got to be a little if if this did happen i tend to not believe it but if this oh, did, i tend to believe this i don't believe it because of the guy that reported it is a little he's a little shady um if this did happen though so you're more comfortable calling him shady the, the guy that reported this story yeah okay i'm very comfortable is there a with sport that. more than football that you would imagine coaches on the same team getting into a fist fight I've seen uh, a couple of instances in my career where it's gotten heated mm-hmm. between two coaches and like players get up and kind of get in between them. I, I did witness over in Europe um, a player turning and literally fighting the coach. Oh my God. Was behind him That's on the incredible. bench. Yes, it was It was funny because both the player and the coach got kicked out of the game, so we right. actually coached ourselves the rest of the game. Well, I guess That's I should amazing. I guess I shouldn't we say no in this. Because I saw Bortuzzo and Sanford throw fists. Like I was there well, yeah, for it at the mill. That was mills. a regular thing, dude. That was a Tuesday back in the day. So glad that was your life in hockey. Jamie, you live a very different life than all it of was, us. So guys fought <laughs> all the time, and especially in the on competition drills, right. and you used to get bagged. It, after a couple of big loss, like bag skated, oh, okay, you know, okay. sorry, clarify that. terminology, I should, that should come with a disclaimer. <laughs> Bagged mean bag skated after several losses or a bad loss. And then the coaches would always throw in like competition drills, like one on one in the corner, two yeah. on two in the corner. Back is in Tarasenko got Losers into it too. Losers have to skate, mm-hmm. right? And so that always heated up quickly and guys are usually hung over or embarrassed or angry. And so, yeah, you'd throw fists and then you just pick up your stuff after and get back to work. Ferrari, what do you have for us today in the joke? So let's, let's stick with the NFL and thing that I can confirm actually <laughs> happened, Jamie. Uh, so we always say like, you know, confirmed it. That's we, all that matters we, in my world. We always say to, to, to our listeners, right? Like put yourself in so-and-so shoes, right? Like as a general manager or as somebody who's in charge of a roster move. Well, right now, guys, fans in Jacksonville have the opportunity to help their team in terms of a draft pick. Yannick in 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 I was going to butch that name regardless. So he was traded to the Vikings by the Jaguars before the season started. We all remember that. I remember that. So then Vikings traded him to the Ravens. But I in the, don't remember that. But in the Jaguars Vikings trade, it was a conditional pick. So if if Yannick was a pro bowler, then it would be a fifth round draft pick. For the Vikings for the, or Vi- the for the Jaguars? So they traded away. So if Yannick is a pro bowler, they get a fourth round pick. If he's not a pro bowler, they get a fifth round pick. Okay. So Jacksonville fans right now are telling everyone to vote Yannick into the Pro Bowl oh. so that they can screw <laughs> over the Minnesota Vikings. That's awesome. I and like right, the strategy. Now, right now they have the Packers, Lions, and Bears fans that they have endorsed to get in on this. Sure. And they're doing it. That's amazing. Wow. That's awesome. Wonder if it'll have to be a recount. <laughs> What? With Chavy Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Theo Epstein, I've got a little bit of a tinfoil Friday type of a segment Uh-oh. that I would like to do coming up next. I think he'd be a tremendous commissioner for baseball. I think I've got a little bit of the timing down, too. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Theo, I think after taking off 2021, 
will wind up uh, taking on another challenge. I've talked with friends of his. They think that he's more interested in a ground-up type situation. And i got to tell you, there are a lot of people around baseball who are looking at Nashville and saying, what? you know what, eventually there's going to be a team there uh, where you're going to be building something from the ground up. And maybe that's what Theo has in mind. He talked yesterday about being interested in possible ownership. That was Buster only earlier today on ESPN Radio talking about what's next for Theo Epstein. Being in an ownership group, especially with an expansion team down in Nashville, makes a lot of sense. I think he might have even higher ambitions, though, Jamie. I've got a little bit of a tinfoil Ferrario mm. idea for Those what we could be looking at. No, what was dangerous was the noise you just made. Mm. I, I read this quote yesterday from Theo Epstein, and it made me think in my mind, oh, this guy's running. And I'm not talking about for office. I'm talking about for commissioner of Major League Baseball. Theo Epstein said, quote, it's the greatest game in the world, but there are some threats to it because of the way the game is evolving. And I actually take some responsibility for that because executives like me have spent a lot of time using analytics and other measures to try to optimize individual and team performance. And that has unwittingly had a negative impact on the aesthetic value of the game. It has had a negative impact on the entertainment value of the game. I mean, you know about the strikeout rates a little are a little out of control, and we need to find a way to get more action in the game, get the ball in play more often, allow players to show their athleticism some more, and give fans more of what they want. That sounds like something a commissioner would mm-hmm. be saying about the state of the game today. That sounds like something that if he were the commissioner, here are the steps of how he takes to get to where he wants to get to aesthetically for the game itself. You know what that didn't sound like at all? An owner? Rob Manfred. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, listen, I I don't think it's that tinfoil right now, what you're thinking about, because I think he would be phenomenal. He's got a, a really good grasp on the game of baseball. He's one of the, the biggest pioneers of the analytics thing. Not the first guy, obviously, but one of the people who had the most success and did curses in two cities for World Series championships. And if he's r- sitting here recognizing where the game is flawed currently, why not? He has good relationship for the most part with probably the players and the agents and the other owners and the other management. I would much rather see Theo Epstein at the press conference talking about how baseball can get better and how he's going to work with the players and how they're going to get a CBA done than I do looking at Rob Manfred. He also, I was talking about this with Ferrario earlier today. As you mentioned, he's got a, he's got a better voice for baseball. He's got a better face for, for baseball. He has a better relationship with the players to be able to kind of come in between, bridge that gap between the owners and the players, which is greatly needed right now he has said he's going to take the next year off to try to figure out what he wants to do in baseball right well what's next year oh we've got the cba negotiations right there it is things are probably going to go pretty south in those negotiations we're all expecting that it's going to get a little ugly right it went well this past year exactly smooth rob manfred is no friend of any of the players right what if They're using Rob Manfred, baseball is right now, as a little bit of a meat shield. And they're saying, you know what, Rob, you're going to take all of the arrows. This is going to get ugly for you. You're paid handsomely to be able to take this on. This is your, your undertaking right now. And you're going to be put out there into the negotiations with the players, and you're going to get this deal done, and 
is going to be rough. It's going to be ugly. There are going to be a lot of people, especially fans that do not like you. We'll take care of you. We'll take care of you down the line. But when these negotiations are done and when your public Q rating is at its lowest, we're going to replace you. We're going to put Theo Epstein in mm. place right afterwards, and he is going to be the young, new, exciting, fresh face for baseball who wasn't involved in those negotiations, who can then take us into whatever the next era is for the game. Okay, so you have me on the hook a little bit there. Now, where I would like to evolve this yeah. is that, yes, they use Rob Manfred as the meat shield. And he goes in and gets dirty, and it's ugly, and it's not fun. And then as they get near the end, they say, Rob, guess what? You're going to step aside. Theo, you're now going to take over, and you're going to finalize this and be the hero. And now you're going to be able to announce that Major League Baseball has given up a couple things to the players. We just want the game to get better. And now you have a hero among fans, and the players are like, yes. Ah, so you're doing the whole con man routine where yes. there's a there's a the there's a problem that only you created and only you can solve. And he comes in and he is the man for the job that is able to solve the issue that is at hand after Rob Manfred probably already did most of the legwork. Oh, probably everything. And there was very little left to actually get done. They were already on the one yard line, the metaphorical one yep. yard line. And he's able to plunge it in with that touchdown run. I like it. I think this guy would make a fantastic commissioner i think theo epstein would be tremendous in that role they don't have a ton of power every commissioner you views the position a little bit differently uh david stern was very much in favor of the owners now adam silver in the nba is much more pro player right and we've seen the the pros and the cons of what that ultimately means for the league but it's in a good spot right now in part because of his leadership through all of this baseball has a guy in the position right now that seems to not know what his job is He's not working for anybody. He's not making a whole lot of sense. He's not making the owners look very good publicly. He's not just, he's working he's for the just, weekends. He's just bad. He's just very bad at his job. He's not a good speaker. He's just bad. Theo Epstein, if this is true, and if he does see it this way, that baseball has gone down a path that is partly his own doing, but he would like to correct it. and He's got ideas for how to correct it. That seems like an ideas guy that would make a lot of sense in that job, especially right now when the game's getting younger and more fun and evolving in significant ways. Mm -hmm. I think he would be a great guy to have in that position right now. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things, kind of put the guy up on the stake like Rob Manfred and and let everyone hate his guts for everything. And, And let's be honest, like we already mentioned, Theo has that ability to kind of touch both sides of the spectrum and If you go back in history when it comes to CBA negotiations, if you don't have that, if you got one side that only cares about one side and the others, I mean, go back to the NHLs, right, Gribbs? I mean, like in 04, the player side could care less about the ownership and the ownership could care less about the players. They wouldn't even speak to each other. You bring in a guy like Theo Epstein who has that ability to say, hey, guys, I see what you're talking about, but look at the other side. Let's take it. Let's take a mile in the in their shoes. That's how you get stuff done. And it wouldn't surprise me if you find a way to get a salary cap done when you put Theo up there. That's Mm. what I was thinking, too, because when you talk about Adam Silver and you talk about Gary Bettman right now, Gary Bettman, although people still boo him, he used to be hated. Booing is just kind of like a thing now with Gary. It's not because they hate him. And so now those two leagues do have salary caps. So the commissioner and the owners are forced to work with the players 
So both sides feel like they have a voice at the table, right? I could see a guy like Theo Epstein, who's smooth talking. He's got a lot of great ideas. He's had a lot of success in different markets, in tough markets, mind you. And I could see him being able to go, listen, guys, we don't have to make it where it's a $100 million salary cap. Maybe it's something that's close to what we're doing right now, but at least then we have a floor as well where we're forcing some of these lower teams to spend some money for you players. But on the other hand, guys, you're going to have to give up something here because the owners are going to have to make good on something on their side too. It also helps that if he is somebody that is looking at potentially getting into ownership, well, that would seem to suggest that he has good relationships with the owners because otherwise he wouldn't be approved for something like that. And if you're going to be approved for an ownership position within that fraternity and don't get it twisted, these this is basically a fraternity. Whenever you become an owner, uh, you, it's you and 30 of your fellow cohorts, the very exclusive group of people that can be in Major League Baseball as an owner. If he's available to be that there's also at least an indication that they would maybe trust him with a little bit more authority. And somebody on the text line asked, what is the position of the commissioner? Is it elected? Is it basically like uh, put together like a standard job? You're appointed. You're mm-hmm. appointed by the owners. Mm-hmm. You you work for the owners. And I think sometimes we forget that they're they're employed by the owners. They're below technically what the owners are. But there are also people specifically Adam Silver, who views himself as a steward of the sport. And he views himself as basically the intermediary between the players and the owners. And those, in my opinion, are the best commissioners. Those are the ones that are able to get the most done because they look at it as a partnership and not an adversarial relationship. But it's a partnership because they share in the revenues. Correct. Why? Because there's a salary cap. So the, the partnership is there. And those sports that have partnerships... They're doing pretty well. Now, Major League Baseball, I know in a normal uh, year or normal times that those guys are doing pretty well at the same time, but fans are always angry at somebody. They're always angry at the owners or they're always angry at the greedy players one way or the other. I think if you put a salary cap in, a generous salary cap, there's a little bit less to be angry with. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. Are we sure? That Javi Baez isn't the one that the Cardinals should be targeting after next season. We'll tell you why coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into a game of Are We Sure? 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Are We Sure? Jamie, I would like to play you a piece of audio from earlier today. Jesse Rogers was on with Carriker and Smallman. You can check out the podcast, 101ESPN.com is where you find it. Yes. Here's what Jesse Rogers had to say about Javi Baez. So I do think they'll sign a guy like Javi Baez, one of their own, um, but it wouldn't be 300 million. It'd be like, you know, 175 or something, you know, sort of normal, I guess you'd call it. $175 million for Javi Baez. I don't know how long that contract would be. Yeah, I was like, how long is that? Is that a five-year deal? Because that scares the heck out of me. Is it a 15-year deal? All of a sudden, I don't mind it. I would probably say six or seven. Yeah. How old is he again? He'll be 28 next year. So I would say you're looking at somewhere between six and eight years. Yeah. For $175 million. So the reason why I ask this, are we sure that if the Cubs don't re-sign Javi Baez? Say that again because someone probably didn't hear you say that. If the Cubs don't re-sign Javi Baez next offseason, are we sure that he's not the best player 
for the Cardinals to resign. Okay. Or to, the, for the Cardinals Just to doing sign. that because Texas usually say, well, obviously the Cubs are going to resign. Talking, now I'm lost again. Are we sure that oh, this geez. isn't the guy that they should sign? Are we sure this isn't the guy? Do no, you I'm not think sure. that the Cardinals should sign Javi Baez? God. I do. This isn't that hard. Okay, okay thanks for that. More of an answer? Thanks for that yeah. educated guess. <laughs> no, look, I think that if he's available, then yeah, obviously it would be a great pickup for the Cardinals. I don't know. This $175 million is a price tag. I would like to know how many years it's attached to. Let's say to. it's seven. Seven $25 years? million dollars a year. That's a lot. I think that's a lot. Personally, I think that that's a lot right now. Uh, I, I, he's having a, he come, coming off an off year Terrible for him. Year. Terrible year for him. Uh, I understand that we probably wouldn't predict that it would be like that again moving forward. But I also hate, hate, hate paying premium for past performance. I know you do that, but when you've got a guy that has coming off a bad year, I'm skeptical. I would not do it for $25 million. For $25 million, I would do it. I, I think if we're looking at the... I'm f- going to get Jock Peterson. Oh, jeez. If we're looking at the free agent class... Like, let's say all of these guys hit free agency. Obvious choice is Francisco Lindor. That's 30, 35 million plus a year. If he's available. If he's available. I would put Javi right up there. Not anywhere near Francisco Lindor, but I would put Javi above Carlos Correa and Corey Seager. Because I think what are they going to ask for on the market? I think those guys are going to ask for 28 to 35 million dollars on the market. You think? And if Javi's I don't gonna, know about Correa. Correa's probably in a similar to range two to Javi. I'm not sure. But, but if, yeah. But if Javi's going to be 175, if you're looking at somewhere between 20 and 25 million for the next six years, I think he's the second best shortstop out there against the other ones. He hasn't gone through injuries like Seager and Correa. He's been an MVP candidate, hmm. which Correa has been. I don't know if Seager has ever been in the conversation for a regular season MVP. No. Postseason, we just saw. Mm-hmm. Not a regular season. $175 million? I'm giving Javi Baez that because he makes my lineup that much better for the next six years. I think you're probably looking at Lindor around 30 plus, probably $35 yeah. million dollars per year. Seager around 30. Correa, 27-ish. Mm-hmm. And then Javi and Trevor Story around $25 million. And Javi's way better than Trevor Story. All right. Maybe I need to take two. Based on those prices that I'm looking at or that you're telling me about, I think I would do that deal for Javi Baez at $175 million for seven Six, years. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, Javi doesn't fit here. His attitude could be a problem. It's possible. I agree. I think he's fun, though. And this is kind of... One of the things that we've been talking so much about, Javi Baez is a really fun player to watch. He would get me to the ballpark. I would go watch him. Like He is worth the price of admission to be able to go to the ballpark and see him play every day. I think Cardinals fans will remember that year he was playing in Bush Stadium and he complained about the lights behind home plate being too bright and it affected his play at shortstop. That guy's got some swag to him. Definitely. Absolutely. Those lights can be bothersome. Mm -hmm. He had a terrible year last season, hit 200 on the year. He does not walk very much, so that might be problematic with the current hitting coach instructions. Yeah, that could be a disaster. He'll change them. He does strike out quite a bit, which is not great. Oh, that kind of fits in. It fits in well here. (laughs) He averages 35 doubles and 30 homers per year the three seasons prior to this last season. It's a really good player. Plays like fantastic defense. Is young. He's still going to be 29 years old by the time that you sign him. Yeah, he plays. Apparently he's been healthy, right? Well, yeah. He hasn't gone through an injury like Seager or Correa have. Oh, there you did it. He's oh, played no, between 140 and 160 games basically every year he's been healthy. And last year he played 59 of the 60 available games. Yeah. He plays every day. He's kind of like Paul DeYoung where he doesn't come out of the lineup very often at all. 
him and Paul DeYoung on the left side of your infield makes you really good defensively. Yes, they do. Is it uh, natural that you slide DeYoung to third then? Yes. I think Javi could play third, though, too. Well, that's I, why I think I Javi's it. a better shortstop. Yeah, Javi's just, he's yeah. unbelievable. He's He's one of the best defensive shortstops he's, in baseball. He's up there in conversation with Lindor in terms of defensive ability. God, I would have loved to have seen. If you, if they can find a way to bring back Colton Wong, if they could have an infield with Wong, Javi, and DeYoung. And then Goldschmidt at first. That's as good as it gets in all of well, baseball. Doesn't Javi have a lot of pieces of flair, too, at the plate? Oh, yeah. A lot, yeah. yeah, yeah. That might be, that might be much. past their salary cap of flair. No. With, can with never, Wong and can never get past the salary cap of flair. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Are We Sure? Guys, are we sure that the Packers are as good as their record would indicate that they are? Looking at this weekend, the Packers are taking on the Colts. This game is in Indianapolis. The Colts are a two-point home favorite in this game. Hmm. I don't think any of us in this room view the Colts as a realistic contender this year for anything meaningful. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender right now. If the Colts are going on the road against the, or excuse me, the Packers are going on the road against the Colts and they're an underdog, are we sure that they're as good as their seven and two record would indicate? They're not. They're not. I'm looking at the schedule and the games that they've won and what they've lost. The only real big win that they've had was against the Saints, mm-hmm. as far as like off a, a top contending team. And the rest of their schedule, the Colts are probably the toughest team they have to play. I know they have the Titans at the bottom of it, but it goes Colts, Bears, Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Ooh. Titans, Bears. So the Colts wow. and the Titans are the only speed bumps in the rest of the season. They're going to go like 13-3 and three this yeah, year. That Again. being said, looking at how they've done so far, that's a fluff schedule. So I'm not sure they're as good as what their record indicates right now. It's not so much the teams that they're playing, but it's what the guys are doing, right? Like you went into this season looking at the Packers saying, oh, they got Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. But now you got Valdez Scantling, who's looking like a legit number two wide receiver. Uh, Lazard is coming off the injured list. So now you got a triple threat right now in the passing game for Rodgers. And guys, let's be honest here. Rodgers is an MVP candidate right now. Yep. He's up there with Mahomes. Given that schedule, I think I like my pick even better now. I, I still think that regardless of the fluff that they're playing against, I think they're this good for a reason. I'm pretty sure they're good. This really throws my idea of them being a Super Bowl contender into question. Being a two-point underdog on the road against this Colts team? I've watched a lot of the Colts this year. I don't think they're very good. They're fine. They're super boring, though. They're, you know what they are? They're the St. Louis Cardinals of the NFL. They're going to win quite a few games, but they're not going to be exciting in doing so, and nobody has any belief that they're actually going to win once they get to the postseason. I don't trust Phillip Rivers. I don't trust that offense at all. I think they've got a limit on their weapons. They've got a good offensive line. Their defense is solid, although they've struggled at times whenever they go up against the better opponents. I don't view them as a contender at all. I did view, I still do, I think, view the Packers as a contender. Yeah. I don't know, man. If they lose this game, this is the one that's going to throw me off of that scent. This is going to be the one that potentially makes me reconsider whether they're a Super Bowl contender. If we're calling the 14-2, guys. If we're calling the the Titans a smoke show, then... Smoke and mirrors. No, smoke show. If we're calling the Titans smoke and mirrors, the Colts are immediately smoke and mirrors as well. I mean, they're the exact same team, just flipping a a certain area of their team. Mm -hmm. Titans got the offense, which is solid. Colts got the defense, but they're smoke and mirrors. 
I would one. almost say the Packers are smoking mirrors. Mm, see, so not I with Rodgers. As soon as you get to the playoffs and they have to play real teams, the only real team they've played or that they've they've lost to are the Buccaneers. Yep. They beat the Saints. That's a big that's a big win. But after that, like they're going to have a really tough road through the playoffs. Their other wins this year are the Vikings, Lions, Falcons, Texans, 49ers, Jaguars. That's a who's who of the worst teams in the NFL and right there. The rest of it is the who's who of the worst teams. Well, let's yeah. be honest, in the NFC, though, I mean, other than the Bucks being a legitimate threat in the Saints, I think all the other teams, they have a, I mean, you would favor them without even thinking. Seahawks, Rams, Cardinals, you would favor know. the Packers without I'd, thinking. I'd give it a pick them against all of those teams. Yeah, me I too. Would, really? I'd, I'd, yeah. I could go either way, honestly. Yeah, see, I would pick those immediately. You'd, you'd go I'd go Packers, Packers before I any of those. I think I would pick the Rams over the Packers based on the Rams' defense. I think I would, too, because of the Rams' offense, too. Their running game, I would have real concerns about whether or not the Packers could stop it. Yeah. Last one here. Are we sure that Jaden Schwartz will not be back next year? Are we sure that the that the Blues are going to allow Jaden Schwartz to walk in free agency? Because I I felt that way, but the more that I heard Jr. yesterday talking about how seemingly sure he was that Schwartz would be back, made me kind of question this. Are we sure that he's gone after this year? No, I'm not sure uh, that he's gone. I think that this is a strange year based on the fact that you're going to have the expansion draft. If you did not have the expansion draft, I'd say that I would be pretty sure that he would be gone. But the fact that you do and you're going to have a player picked off of your roster that is probably going to be a three, four, five million dollar player. That goes back into the kitty and you can help use that to re-sign Jaden Schwartz. So I'm not sure that it's automatic that Jaden Schwartz is gone. I would love to see him locked up long term, but the salary cap uh, would indicate that that's going to be very difficult for the Blues. And also the other variable in this is Vladdy Tarasenko. What's his health? When will he back be back? Will he get injured again? So if that money, again, is on long-term IR for even longer then you've got more money to play with. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but he's a free agent. Aren't free agents exempt unless they get a contract extension? Yes, he is. So unless he gets a contract, he can't be selected by Seattle. Correct, but somebody else off the roster could be, and therefore you, you sign. You want to protect him more. Then you sign Jaden Schwartz. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I got you. I'm not sure about this either. I, I'm full. I'm about 95% confident that he's back from the way that Craig Berube wow. talks about Jaden, from the way that Doug Armstrong talks about Jaden. I see him getting locked up. I don't know if it would be this preseason because of everything that's going on, but I see him getting locked up to a Braden Shen deal. Are we sure the Blues can do that? Yeah, because I think Not they let O'Reilly bring back Ryan O'Reilly. I think that, see, but I think they let they him walk. resign Colton Pareko. I think they let O'Reilly walk. I think Thomas is going to be an indicator of letting O'Reilly Boy, walk. You're really hoping, unless unless Tarasenko is is career is shot, because that opens up a lot more options for you. But if he's back, I think he let O'Reilly O'Reilly walk. Oh boy, I wouldn't. No chance. I, I would neither. I'd retire a blue if I was. GM. I would neither. I just think that's what it's going to be. I still think he's gone because of O'Reilly. I think that they're looking I think he's at that because deal. Of Shen. Sure, because they give However Shen that long point. extension. It's basically, I yeah. think Shen had to plays choose. the wing as well. It's a good point. That's that's my thoughts. Yeah, that's a better way to put it than what I said. I think that he's gone because they want to have two of those guys, whether it was Shen or Schwartz, and then O'Reilly. That would be the way that I would look at it. That's a better way to put it. They chose basically Shin over Schwartz in this situation. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Ferrario just retweeted something Uh-oh. from 
Nick Caprios. Caprios. And oh my God, that was live. I didn't mean to do that. He just retweeted something. The NHLPA has an executive board call today. 80 to 100 players are expected to take part, including in this news is that the NHL is wanting to renegotiate the economic terms of the four month old agreement. There is some hint at a possible threat of the NHL canceling the season if these changes are not met. This was first reported by the New York Post. Let's talk about this with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, coming up next. Is there a real threat right now of the NHL going back on its previous agreement on the CBA and potentially talking about a canceled season? We'll talk about it with Chris Kerber coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on the show. And I want to get his thoughts on this report that we were just talking about from Nick Kiprios, who said that the NHLPA has an executive board call today at 4 o'clock. 80 to 100 players are expected to take part in this call. Uh, according to him, the NHL is hopefully or looking to renegotiate the economic terms of the four-month-old agreement and that there is some hint of a possible threat of an NHL canceled season if changes aren't met by the NHLPA. With that, we bring in Chris Kerber to join in on this conversation. Kerbs, I know we talked about this a little bit off of the air. What's your reaction to this latest report that the NHLPA is having an executive board call to talk about potentially having to take another financial hit? Well, it, it, it's not at all surprising. I mean, look, the bottom line is this, is when these – when these two sides got together after the 0405 lockout that cost them a season, the big thing was basically revenues uh, for players uh, amongst the owners are going to be split 50-50. That's how they determine the salary cap. So that's why everybody hears so much about escrow. Players put a certain amount of their paychecks into escrow, and when they do the audit, if the owners wound up paying out more than the 50% of what the hockey-related revenues were, then the owners get that money back. If they didn't, then the players get that money back. So – that, that's been, and that was the impetus between, behind why when these two sides got together for the return to play, they were able to decide, okay, well, we've got to turn around and we've got to work up a new CBA. And the Players Association had an interest in doing so because with the amount of lost revenue, with no fans throughout these past playoffs and, and things, you're looking at a scenario where the players were going to owe back the owners for the other CBA the tune of close to a billion dollars by the time this was all said and done. So now you move forward into this new season. And even though that there was an extension of the CBA, some of the pandemic uh, realities continue to be a reality. And while you can play with some fans in some cities, a lot of cities in the NHL, you are still not allowed to have any fans in the building. And if that's going to be the case, the revenues are going to take an even bigger hit. So for some teams, it doesn't even make sense for them to try and operate depending on what those scenarios are going to be. So unless they can figure out how to make this financially work, then yeah, you're going to see these negotiations and, and guys, you and I think, I think the three of us have talked about it before, what major league baseball went through because their season hadn't started is now what is facing the NBA and the NHL because their seasons haven't started in terms of how do you pay? I can't imagine that you pay player salaries for a full season at a full rate if you don't have a full season if you can't pay the full rate and if you have the zero ability to put fans in the building so this is something that'll play out but i i do believe that there will be a solution found because both sides have proven that uh 
that they they know what they need to do to get through this and these are just extraordinary circumstances yeah curbs that's where i am with it is that look i've lived a couple of these lockouts and they were awful and they damaged the nhl in the game of hockey tremendously in the public eye and right now one of the things the nhl has going for it is that how well the players and the owners have worked together through these difficult times i just can't imagine gary bettman and the owners at the end of the day yes revenues are going to be uh they're going to be at a loss and they're going to be hurt but at the end of the day, I can't imagine that the best idea is, hey, let's damage our game again and cancel a season, and therefore actually no revenues coming in at that point. Jamie, if there's one thing, and this is where I think the NHL was so good uh, back in, in July and August, they did a lot of this behind the scenes. All right, So we don't need uh, either side. I'm perfectly fine being kept in the dark as long as I need to be kept in the dark. From a PR standpoint, this is not something that needs to play out in the public eye the way it did in Major League Baseball. Because if there's one thing we know, the, the, the general public has no stomach for any time of fight between billionaires and millionaires right Right now. They, they just don't. I mean, look at what's going on in, in our own county. You know, So the, the, the reality of it is, is I, I think sports leagues realize this. I think they know it. I also think there's enough good news on the horizon with vaccines and, and things. And, and honestly, I do think enough people are playing by the rules. I do think enough people are masking. I think enough people are trying to do it right. That I think there's enough positivity to be found in there for them to figure something out. And again, I, there, there was nothing in the words of Don Fear, at least publicly, uh, or from the National Hockey League publicly back in June, July, and August when they were trying to figure out how to get back to the ice for the playoffs that would make me think that this is not something that they can't overcome right now in the short term as well to keep things going. Curbs, yesterday the NBA announced that they're going to have their format basically set now. It's going to be a 72-game season. They're going to start on December 22nd. They will have a play-in tournament before the playoffs tip off. That's going to be between the 7th through the 10th seed. So that way they can include more teams in the postseason this year than their typical top eight from either conference. I'm not much interested in talking about the NBA side of things, but for the NHL, is that a similar format to what you are anticipating? If there is a season played, is that similar to what you're hearing, what you believe the NHL will be looking for as well? Well, I'm not hearing a whole lot uh, along those lines, but I, I do believe this. Uh, I, I have felt all along that the, the game total right between 58 and 64, which to me is right around 62. And I've said this uh, on some of the shows for a while that seems to be in the wheelhouse of timing that makes sense. It seems to give you more chance to, to get some games in later. I do believe that it's perfectly fine if you push the playoffs back until May. It gives you a longer opportunity to make sure you can get more fans at the stadium later on for the playoffs. I think one of the reasons that the NBA is doing those play-ins for, is for that same reason. I think you can have a perfectly healthy 72-game season and not have to worry about expanding your playoffs. But if you can put a few extra fans in the stands for a, an extra playoff round or some play-in games in a tournament like that, well, that helps your revenue, and that's what this has to be about. So I know that there is not a lot of stomach uh, on anybody's side for expanded playoffs in the National Hockey League. Um, the other teams, the other leagues have finally caught up with the NHL. So, you know, for a long time, people haven't been able to say every team in the NHL makes the playoffs. That said... If there's revenue to be revenue to be had in this upcoming season, 
I'm perfectly fine with doing it for another year to make sure that you can get more fans seeing the game. So if that's what happens in the NHL, I think in this case I'm fine with it. I just do not expect there to be a long-term stomach for any type of uh, playoff expansion. Yeah, Curves, and last question I've got for you is the training camps, if this January 1 date is actually what they're targeting, training camps probably have to start relatively soon in order to get players cleared and all that stuff and be ready to go. Have you heard anything around the team right now about guys who are filtering back into town? And if there are guys in town locally that are you know, currently working out or skating, trying to get ready for the season? Uh, there are some guys in town. Uh, there, there are a decent number of guys in town. I, I do think, and we talked, uh, Craig Baruby joined our team call earlier in the week, guys. And uh, actually, it might have been even, it might have been late last week that, that, that he did on, on Thursday. And there was something he said to us uh, on one of our hockey shows when trying to kind of get his mind around what happened with the playoffs this past season. And the one thing he mentioned was he wished he had more guys in town sooner getting ready as a team for the return to play that happened up in Edmonton. He echoed that again on Thursday on this call. So I think that while, you know, required is not going to be part of it and and you can't force anything, I do think he's going to rely on his leadership group to go ahead and make sure as many guys are in here as ready to go. I don't think a two-week training camp is going to be long enough, Jamie. I mean, you, I know players have constantly said we don't need to play eight games, but I still don't think that and that's true. But I don't think that you need a two. I think you need a little bit more than two weeks to get yourself through the soreness,es the hip flexors, to get ready for the regular season. Otherwise, you're going to have some injuries coming in the early part of the season no matter what. So if you figured if they still shoot for a January 1st, you're talking about training camp opening up that second week of December. That's a pretty quick turnaround there. That, that's why I'm wondering if more mid-January does seem to make some sense. But having said that, uh, either way, I think Craig Ruby would like as many of his guys in town sooner and working as a group sooner, even if he can't be on the ice with them. Curbs, we look forward to hearing you on the calls again. Hopefully that comes as soon as humanly possible. Always appreciate your time here on 101 ESPN. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. Okay, fellas, have a great week. You got it. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything on today's show, check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the 101 ESPN app. It is all brought to you by I Promise, E-Y-E, I Promise. Anthony Stolter in studio now, crossing things over with the fast lane. How you doing, man? Good. Looking at you guys. How could it be bad? Wow. Oh, hey. It's good to have Anthony Stolter Anthony's going to get the, the party horn every time he comes in now. I like yes. it. The party I like horn. that. Oh, okay. Got to come up with some other it's fun for everyone. sound effects for Stoltz. We were John talking Rardy about the Packers yeah, earlier today. What? We're the talking Packers? about the Packers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, they are playing the Colts on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And you are a gambling man. Mm-hmm. You like to uh, partake in the the odds, the lions, if you will. I don't know where you heard that, but go ahead. <laughs> um, the Packers are a two-point road dog mm-hmm. this week in going to Indy. Why? Because it's a trap game and you should take the Colts. Whoa. Really? Oh, why? Just dropped a bomb there. Why is it a trap game, Anthony? Because of what Kylie just did there? Yeah, but what other reasons? 
Well, okay. Let's let's just break. Let's Here's just break what I down. Say. Okay, let me let me just give you my opinion. Okay, yeah. I looked at their schedule, the yeah. strength of schedule. If they were playing college football, they wouldn't be ranked anywhere. The Colts? Yeah, no, the Packers. Oh, okay. Because they really haven't played anybody. I mean, they played the Saints, and they won one against the Saints, lost to the Buccaneers. So mm-hmm. you're kind of sitting there going, okay, but that's it. The rest of the schedule, fluff, Anthony, yeah. absolute fluff. The only tough games they have left, supposedly tough games, are the Colts and the Titans. Last game of the season, the rest, Anthony, fluff. This is exactly the situation that was last year. The Packers just got fat, dumb, and happy on bad opponents throughout the course of the year. They won a lot of close games, which, hey, winning is the only thing that matters. But you got to the NFC Championship game. Russ Russ almost got him the week prior. It took Aaron Rodgers in the final drive to make some miraculous throws. Again, that's what he does. But he got past Russ the, the previous week. And then they went on the road, and they got ham-sauced by, by San Francisco. They, they faced a really good team that can attack the edges of Mike Pettin's defense, and it wound up being an issue. They could I think go the Colts will likely do that, too. They could go 14-2 and two on this season, yet I feel like I wouldn't bet on them in the first playoff I'm game. with you. No, you, you and I are in lockstep on that. Who's good, then? Like if the Packers aren't good, then who is good they right now in the good. NFL? I, look, the, are they false good? Though? The fake good. They're a good. They're a good team. That's what the NFC has okay. at the top of its conference. They're good teams. They're not great teams. They're good teams that have serious flaws. Who's great? The Chiefs. Steelers. That's the wrong conference. Andy. The Steelers. I have to give this look I have to give the Steelers their due they're nine and oh they got a great defense I don't know if they can run the ball consistently I don't know if they if they have as much explosion offensively as the Chiefs do I would take the Chiefs in the parking lot every single time until I'm proven wrong and I might be wrong on the Steelers I thought I think that's a really good team I don't think that they're great I think the Chiefs are still in a category all to themselves. And people will say, well, what about the records? What about the records? There's going to be games where you you suffer letdowns or the other team just has your, your number that day, like the Raiders did in Kansas City earlier this year. And that just that's just the way it is. The Raiders are a juggernaut. The Raiders, the Raiders can be a juggernaut. We'll see how that goes on Sunday night. To, the Raiders in, think in they're BT's a juggernaut. mind and Jamie's mind, apparently. I don't mind. But... Are the Raiders better than the Chiefs? No, but they, they got them that Sunday. By the way, Sunday night, I'd, I'd yeah. lay the points with the Chiefs. What is it, seven? Absolutely. I Oof. don't care what I'll it is. It. Andy Reid took it personally that the Raiders did a, a victory tour around the stadium after they beat them in Kansas City. Yes, they should have. Sure. It, Andy Reid taking it's, something personally. We're going to get the A-plus script. Oh, Chiefs by 15. That visor's going to be fogged up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get ugly. But anyways, Chiefs, Chiefs are great. The Steelers, I highly respect. They are on that like next level, probably ball, probably by themselves too. Then everybody else is really good, but I don't think there's a great team in the NFC. I think that's a totally fair way to look at it right now. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? We're going to talk about what Cardinals need to see out of Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader. Everybody, everybody might say, I'm sure the text line's filling up right now. Mm. We already know what they are. Okay, fine. It's moot though because they're going to be here next year and they're going to see a lot of playing time. So what do the Cardinals need to see out of those two guys moving forward? A lot of more Cardinals action, football, blues. We'll do it all in the fast line. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. If you missed any of the show today, including what I thought was a really good interview earlier today with David Kaplan of ESPN 1000, it's all on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. We'll see you tomorrow here on 101 ESPN. Mmm. 
You've been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. 